Betfred Sports presents the Doc Talk Podcast. Betfred has just launched a new app in the state of Iowa to rave reviews. Download the new Betfred Sports app on the Google and Apple Play stores today. New signups can bet $50 and get up to $250 in free bets. Betfred Sports is live in Iowa, Arizona, Colorado, Pennsylvania, Louisiana, Nevada, and now Washington. Also supporting the Doc Talk Podcast, Husker Hounds, with two locations in the Omaha area and online at huskerhounds.com. And attorney Connor Orr with the firm Orr, Horrigan, and Flenty. Connor is an expert litigator and registered sports agent. You can contact him by email or go to ohflaw.com. Don't forget to follow the Doc Talks podcast on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. This is the Doc Talk podcast presented by Betfred Sports, episode 26. Every decision we make here, whether it's right or wrong, we'll learn later but they are always done with what we think is in the best long-term interest of the University of Nebraska and our athletic department. And this place will always be bigger than any one person. And that is the way it has to be. And so we'll, uh, we'll do the very best that we can and we'll dive into the details. We'll surround ourselves with, with good people and um, we'll, uh, we'll identify the next leader of Husker football. It was just a matter of time after last night's 45-42 loss to Georgia Southern that Trev Alberts would have to make a decision I think everybody knew was going to happen sooner or later. And that was Scott Frost is no longer the head coach of the Nebraska football team, fired today after a 1-2 and two start in an embarrassing loss last night to Georgia Southern at Memorial Stadium. The first time Scott Frost had lost a game where the Nebraska Cornhuskers scored 35 points or more. In fact, it was the first home loss for Nebraska where it scored 35 points or more in 214 games. Think about that for a second. And now Nebraska picks up the pieces with Mickey Joseph as the interim head coach for the rest of the season. Good to have you along for a live edition of the Doc Talk podcast presented by Betfred Sports. I'm Travis Justice, and look who's in the studio with us tonight. It's the uh, the one, the only, Dr. Rob Zaniska. Hello, sir. How are you doing tonight? You know, I couldn't be any better, actually. This has been kind of a downer weekend for, well, I, I say, I mean, at least from our kind of the big teams we follow with Nebraska and Iowa. I mean, yeah, Iowa looked like shit yesterday. I mean, just total, total shit yesterday. They did. And it's not like Iowa State looked much better, but you got to be happy about the fact because Iowa State's kind of your team, too. So here's the deal if you're new to the Doc Talk podcast, you have to know a couple things. We drank a lot of beer on this podcast. You will see us consume. Uh, I, I've got about a case in the Yeti right now. So we'll be, uh, uh, look at that. Uh, we talk gambling, and yes, we swear. You will hear an S-bomb. You will hear an F-bomb. You will probably hear a lot of things uh, happening Shit, tonight. Shit, really? Y- yes, believe it or not, that's going to happen. Fuck, Can you sorry, that? Dave. Can you believe that? Look at that. And tonight, we are taking live phone calls. You can call in the show, ask Dr. Rob a question, ask me a question. I don't know why you'd want to ask me a question. Drop an F-bomb. Drop an F-bomb if you want. Well, there, sorry, David, th- for you. There are no rules here. 402-543-5556. Again, 402 Three triple five six is the number to call if you would like to uh, ask Dr. Rob a question. Who long? How long are we going to be here? You know, normally our podcasts go about an hour, hour and a half. We'll go as long as you guys uh, want to talk uh, about uh, what the rest of the season looks like. We're going to hear a lot more from Trev Alberts and really unfold uh, really what happened over the last twenty five or twenty four hours. Really, uh, Rob, when you saw 
that he was fired today. Were you surprised based on knowing, because on your report card last night, overall it said 10-1, and that October 1st date was looming because a 15, almost $16 million buyout gets dropped down to $7 million. That's a lot of fucking money. It is, you know, but we, you know, I traded some messages with a couple of friends on Twitter this afternoon, and we were talking about the fact that I think this now puts Nebraska over the, in the last 20 years at $45 million in contract buyouts for coaches. If you break that down, that's two and a quarter million dollars a year. I hate to say it in today's athletic department budgets, that's not a huge amount of money. You're you're right. And, and I mean, it's it's not like it's chump change. I'm not saying that, and but it's one of these deals where any more, to some degree, that's the cost of doing business in big time college athletics that you're going to deal with this. I, I I mean, look at a school. Okay, let's take Texas for instance. Okay, they've run through the same run of head coaches over True. the last 15, 20 years. True. Ever since they made the decision to fire Mac Brown, that was kind of their, I, I don't want to call it a Solich moment, but it, it was kind of a Solich moment for them that they've gone through kind of the same cycle. You can't tell me the dollars and cents are that much different there versus at Nebraska. I mean, Texas has a much bigger budget, has a much bigger, but but I'm with you on that. I, I And even Trev, and we'll hear from it a little bit later on, Nebraska has the resources to pay this out. Um, and he didn't hesitate. I believe it was Steve Sipple, maybe, who asked the question about the uh, about the buyout. And he did not hesitate. He said uh, there was no negotiation. The University of Nebraska will live up to its contractual obligations of paying out a contract. It has a history of doing that. Hell, it's been paying out guys for a long time. Uh, and, and so I, in no way was Scott going to just say, yeah, I'll take half the money. If you want me to leave right now, you're going to pay me $15 million bucks, Well, and I, don't, million bucks. and I don't think Trev would have asked him to take a buyout so or, or renegotiate it. You know, to go back to your original question in terms of am I surprised that it happened today versus after October 1st, I would not have been surprised whether they did it today or whether they did it after October 1st. Neither one would have been a surprise. If they had done, okay, we're going to go ahead, play Oklahoma, bye week, go from there, see what happens, and then fired Scott, no surprise. If they had fired him today, which obviously they did, no surprise. I Anything was on the table in that regard, especially after what we've seen these first three games. Which is which is horrible football. It's been bad football. And, you know, I, I, I know a few people had asked me about, you know, why do this the week going into the Oklahoma game? Why not see what he does against Oklahoma? Why not go into further into the season? I... Man, it's you know I love I love Scott as a person. Nobody wanted to see this work more than the f- than the former players, the former players and alumni. Nothing would have been better from our standpoint than to see one of our own succeed in this position. But everything we've seen, it's it's not like there was. I was going to say reason for hope, but I'm I'm not sure that's the best description, but. In terms of seeing Nebraska turn a corner and make a change from last year to this year, or even from the first game this year with Northwestern, we haven't seen it. Northwestern was not a great 
well-played, well-executed football game. I get it. You're traveling. You're in Ireland. Everything's a little out of whack. But at the same time, that's not a great Northwestern team. I think they've got a great coach. I think they've got some good foundational uh, principles that Fitzgerald builds that program upon. But that's not a great team that we played over in Ireland. And quite frankly, they kind of took it to us. You go the next week against North Dakota, and again, it's one of these deals where you can sit here and be like, okay, they won. They won by three touchdowns. But you know what? Mid-late third quarter, we're still trading haymakers with an FCS school. And that's, you know, I asked uh, Scott Spritzer last Wednesday night uh, on the... On Behind the Point uh, Spread. On Behind the Point Spread. Thank you. You know, there, there's kind of two sorts. There's sort of two big blowouts over a team like that. There's the one where the team trades punches with you for about three quarters, loses gas, doesn't have the depth, and you finally pull away and win. And there's the one where you jump out to a big lead, blow them out of the water, throw your backups in, and then they kind of catch up. This was the former, and that's not a good look. I, I mean, it's... After that North Dakota game, I was really, really worried. And the reason was is because you, you had a 24-17 game, what was that, late third quarter, early fourth quarter, and North Dakota's got Nebraska pinned deep on third down, and Nebraska needs kind of, well, it was basically a big old lob pass from Casey Thompson, but a really great play by Trey Palmer to go up and catch that for a 31-yard gain to get the first down and basically bail Nebraska out. Nebraska goes on to score on that drive, but if Nebraska doesn't complete that third down play, all of a sudden they're they're up by a touchdown, pinned deep and trying to punt out of their own end zone against a North Dakota team that's still got a fair degree of momentum in that game. That's troubling against an FCS team in my mind. And then you looked at, I've been for a week, we talked about this on the podcast. This is not new information. We talked for a week about the fact that you're looking at these problems Nebraska had against Northwestern. You're looking at the problems Nebraska had against FCS North Dakota. And here comes an athletic team of kids out of South Georgia. I mean, this is the guys who didn't get the scholarship they wanted from Georgia, Auburn, Florida, wherever, and ended up at Georgia. Didn't want to leave the South, so they stayed at Georgia Southern. It's a bunch of really, really good athletes. They all got kind of half a chip on their shoulder. You've got, in my opinion, one of the more underrated coaches in the nation, and Clay, and Clay Helton. And, and you know what? He he got screwed at, at USC. And, and, and again... He was their Solich, in it, my opinion. It kind of, yes. Uh, you know, he didn't take over for Pete Carroll. That would have been, you know, Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian came in after that. He, he kind of came in and, and stabilized things. He wasn't a horrible coach. He, he just ran into a program, much like Nebraska, that has expectations that maybe sometimes can and cannot be met. And there was a transition there, right? And it, it just there was, but I mean, those expectations. He, I, I, I don't know if you can pull up on Google here, but I mean, his first two or three seasons, I thought he went ten and two. 
I, I think he had a couple 10-win seasons in there, but I, I can pull it up a little bit later yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, but, he, he did, in my yeah. opinion, very well. But he was a guy coaching a team where the admin and the alumni wanted that they wanted Lincoln Riley or the next Lincoln Riley kind of guy, and Clay Helton wasn't that. And so it's a you've got a very you got a great group of athletes coached by a very good coach. You got a quarterback in uh, I'm blanking on his name Van Reese Van, oh, the kid from Buffalo, right? Yeah, it's the kid from Buffalo. Who played? I mean, he played for Buffalo last season against Nebraska in Lincoln. It's not like he was going to be wowed by anything he saw. The guy was—I mean, that guy was throwing some great passes in there. I mean, he was throwing some tight ones in there, and I, outstanding game by him. And I fully expected that because I thought he played fairly well for Buffalo last season, and for him to come in this year. That worried me a lot because you've got an experienced quarterback who's seen all of this before. This isn't going to throw him off. That's such a God. That was such a bad combination for Nebraska to run into in that situation right then and there. And on top of it, Nebraska's got some injuries to some key guys that that kind of I think hurt him as well on defense. So here is how it all ends: Scott Frost at Nebraska, not quite uh, five full seasons, sixteen and thirty-one overall, zero and thirteen against ranked teams, ten and twenty-six against Big Ten teams, twelve and fourteen at home, five and nineteen in games beside decided by seven points or less. I know Trev, Trev Albert said today he doesn't want to look back. This show is about looking back because I'm going to ask you, Rob. Well, I where, think any analysis looks back. Where where did it go wrong? Re- seriously, because you and I were talking. About, I was driving home from Des Moines last night after I would just gotten beat by Iowa State. You and I had a nice little conversation, and you and you brought up the the day that Scott Frost was hired. You were down there. You were in the. You were in there. All the everybody gathered. It was like a we, coronation. We thought this was a slam dunk. Couldn't could not have been a better hire. What happened? Really, is God, that's it- a good question. Um, you know, I think it's a lot of things. I think one, I think we were a little bit wowed by the 2017 season at Central Florida, and I think if you go back and kind of reanalyze that, there is a degree of where you, you you look at what Central Florida had. That was a good team, a fast team, a very talented team that had a number of NFL guys on it. The cupboard was not bare there. They just kind of needed to reset things a little bit. You had a coaching staff with a number of UCF guys who had been there for several years. Frost comes in, kind of reorganizes stuff on the offensive side of the ball a bit, brings Chenander in. Um, and had Frost has a system that worked really well in the AAC, it's a little bit more freewheeling. You can get away with what I consider a degree of undisciplined football. He also had, in my opinion, an amazing quarterback in Mackenzie Milton. The guy was a baller. The guy was a great, great athlete. And prior to his injury, I mean, he's one of those guys that 20 years from now, when you do like, hey, who's your top 10 list of guys who, if they had never gotten hurt, you wanted to see how things would have panned out for them? In my mind, Mackenzie Milton's on that list. 
he's a guy that if he had never gotten injured, I, I mean, I think he's an all-timer, at least at the college level when it comes to dual-threat quarterbacks. So, so Scott had some incredible... Can, can I throw a theory out there? Well, C- sure. Because I think Scott has really good players at Nebraska. Now, this is I, I need to clarify. This is my opinion. There is no fact on this. It is my opinion of my observations. But I'm going to throw out there. You said he had great athletes in McKenzie Milton. He also had a really good athletic director in Danny White. Bill Moose was a piece of shit. Yeah, but Bill Moose. How does that translate to on the field? Is my question. Let me tell you. No, listen, hear me out. When you have an athletic director, we're going down a rabbit hole. We're going here. down a fucking rabbit hole. Is what we're going to do. And you're okay with that, right? I love you. Know me. I will. I will. I will dive right in, baby. When you have an athletic director, and Bill Moose, who does not hold a head coach accountable for their actions, and may have similar personal reactions and lifestyles and you don't hold somebody accountable in that area stuff starts to roll downhill really quick so let me ask you a question so i mean i think it's kind of obvious you're taking this in terms of some of the off-field stuff yes absolutely because people know what it's who you're surrounded by you have to be held accountable trev albert's Won the press conference today. Trev Alberts shows up to work every day in a suit. You may or may not like him, but he has a high expectation, and Trev's never going to do something that's going to damage the reputation of Trev Alberts or the University of Nebraska. Just not going to happen. I I don't think Bill Moose felt that way, and I don't know if he held Scott Frost accountable to do the same thing. Again, that's my personal opinion. I don't disagree with you in the sense, and here's where I'm going to take this. I think if you're going to be a college football coach, a good college football coach, and this, you know, this goes beyond college football. If you are going to be a great organizational leader, somebody's got to step up and somebody's got to be the goddamn CEO of the program. And by the way, Tyler says, chase that rabbit. There we go. We're going going to chase that rabbit. All right. Somebody's got to be a, be the CEO of the program. Somebody's got to be the buck stops here. Somebody's got to be the person that people look at and think this this is the guy. This is this is the top of the program. This is the pinnacle. And there's got to be it's got to be somebody that you look that players in Again, if it's not a football team, it's got to be something that people within the organization look up to. They don't have to like them, but they better goddamn respect them. Exactly. And that is a huge part of this. I mean, people had a fair degree of fear of Tom Osborne. You didn't want to piss the guy off. You didn't want to. Now, here's the other thing. You didn't want to disappoint Tom Osborne. One of the great lessons I ever learned was... I was talking to a friend of mine, Quentin New Year. Quentin's a Ulysses, Nebraska kid, Centennial High School, was an all-conference center for Kansas State. This is uh, really, really late 80s, early 90s at Kansas State when Schneider first hit the door. Quentin went on to play for, I think it was the original Cleveland Browns, um, then got traded to uh, Jacksonville when Jacksonville came into being. 
very good longtime center in the NFL as well. I had a little bit of time with him in Jacksonville, and I had a chance to ask Quentin what was it like to play for Bill Schneider. And Quentin told me, he goes, you know, when you screwed up, you felt like you disappointed your father. Head coaches have to have that kind of level of respect. Osborne had that. Pretty much any really good head coach I played for had that effect where it was a – what do you think of what Thomas is saying? No comment from Tom. Notice no com- Tom- comment from Tom Osborne. That's a, it's you know I think that's a little bit telling. I don't have a problem with that because I think Osborne very much supported Scott, and I think the fact that Scott even got a chance at this fifth season had to do with Tom's influence. But going back to the original question that you asked is that within that hierarchy or structure of any organization, you've got to have somebody who's kind of the the buck stops here guy where there has to be respect and you don't have to like the guy, but you have to respect him. And I don't know if Scott had that. I think a lot of players looked at Scott and viewed him almost as here's a guy who's one of us. And you cannot have that when you're in that kind of program. You can have an assistant coach. You can maybe, maybe not, but maybe have a coordinator who holds that kind of position. But when the head coach is one of us, that's not a good thing. And I think it it comes into play when you saw some of these coaching changes get made over the last offseason. You know, the players are looking at that because they look at their assistant coaches. They're looking at their position coach. That can be your buddy. That can be your friend. That can be somebody you've got that close connection to on a personal level. And when the head coach fires that position coach, if the head coach is a CEO figure, is is the top of the mountain, this is the, the head man where the buck stops kind of guy, when they fire that position coach, you may be upset about it as a player, but you're still going to be sitting there going like, well, shit, he is the... It's the head man. That's the CEO shit canned. My buddy is what it is. He's the CEO. But when the, you view the head coach as one of your own, when you view the head coach as your buddy and he fires the assistant coach, the position coach, you're sitting there going, my buddy just fired my other buddy and I'm not sure how to fucking deal with this. That creates an incredibly weird, uncomfortable, and in my opinion, inappropriate kind of level of interaction there between the head coach and the players. And we saw that last year. This has kind of gotten swept under the rug a little bit. But, I mean, when Austin Allen left to go to the NFL, when Cam Jurgens left to go to the NFL – they were not happy with Scott Frost in terms of how he handled these changes. And I think a lot of it goes back to the fact that Scott never established himself as that kind of ever so slightly untouchable CEO of the program. You have to be a fatherly figure, which means you can't be too close. You can't be buddy-buddy with someone. And that's the thing. At some point, somebody's got to step up and be the fucking parent. Sorry, Dave. But your personal life has to be in order. Come on, we've all heard the rumors. We have, and I don't want to dive too hard into that because we've heard it both on Moose, we've heard it on Frost. I got to be honest, I can't say I've asked much about that. 
I don't know. I'm not sure I want to know. You and I have cracked jokes about the photo of Scott and his wife and kid walking off the field after whatever game it was last year. And it was, it, it was obvious that that was a designed I'm not sure how you want to play. That, that was all done okay. by design to stave off these but, rumors. But it's all how And you- yes, that probably does filter down to the players. I shouldn't say probably. It 100% filters down to the players. And in terms of them working for Scott, being motivated by Scott, looking up to him, probably, yeah, it does play into things. But at the end of the day, I don't I, – I mean – I'm not sure that's the reason for Scott's failures. Okay, let me give you an example. Okay, I was with a I, what, what I think is a, a pretty good money man. Got invited to an NIL uh, presentation. Okay, he showed up an hour and a half late. He showed up in a cutoff T-shirt with no sleeves, with a big old wad of chew in and spitting the whole time. Now, you may say, well, that's just who he is. Well, if you're trying to impress people to get to you to give you money, and that's the way you were, you, you were with donors, that you're trying to get to pay your players. How do you think you are with the players? Exactly. There, there, I, think there's, I don't think coaching was necessarily the problem. It was they never, they never trusted him. Well, and that's the thing is that I don't know if I had a problem with Scott's offensive system. The offense didn't lose the game last night. No, no. The, that was your boy Shenander from Iowa. Blame the hawk. <laughs> Although, right. hey, you told me, I remember four and a half years ago when they hired Scott from Central Florida and he brought Shenander and Shenander's guys from Central Florida. I think one of the first things you told me was like, I don't know about this with Shenander because – he kind of had this whole had this whole bend but don't break philosophy on defense. You were not sold on Shenander. I I didn't I don't I'm never in favor of going from the AAC, the Sun Belt, or wherever you're at, and bringing your entire assistant coaching staff. It makes zero sense to me. I get you have a level of trust, but guess what? Not everybody's qualified to go to the Big Ten. Not everybody's qualified to go to it's, the SEC. It, it's, it's it's just a fact. No, and I get that. And those are kind of the – I mean, the SEC and the Big Ten, I think, are to some degree you – know, I was going to say outlier conferences. But honestly, I think if you look at good football anywhere, it's people follow sort of a good, sound, fundamental model in terms of how they do things. I think if you look at some of these other conferences like the AAC, the Sun Belt, et cetera – I think you can live with a little bit more of kind of this freewheeling style in terms of what your offense and defense are. I I, I guess I so because somebody asked me on Twitter today, what is the difference between UCF Scott Frost and Lincoln Nebraska University of Nebraska Scott Frost? My my reply was not. There's no difference. It's the same guy. The fact that he had success at UCF did not translate to Nebraska. And where I explain that is in the sense of look at University of Houston. So look at like Charlie Strong, look at Tom Herman. 
Dana Holger's in that there now. Yeah. And, and Major Applewhite was there. Major Applewhite was a failure there at Houston. Yeah. I, but, I mean, you look at some of these guys who had a ton of success at Houston, and then they come to – for some reason, they all go to University of Texas, and they crash and burn. All right. So, because I want to get to this, because I, I want to make sure that uh, she can hear us. Christine, uh, welcome to the Doc Talk podcast. You there? I am. How you doing? Hello. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Really good. It's great to hear you, Dr. Rob. Absolutely. You know, it's good so, to be heard. <laughs> so my husband and I are sitting on our patio listening to you. And my first question is, so $7.5 million is a lot in my pocket. So we wait 20 days, $7.5 million. Second is, do you feel that this is part of a strategic plan with Mickey Joseph? How many percentage... Uh, of head coaches are black right now in the NCAA. All right, so you've got a couple of pretty good questions here. So in the seven point five million dollars, you know, big pay. It's it's not a small amount of money. I think in terms of moving forward, I think it becomes a little bit of a wash when you get into all these different little pools of money that are coming into the program right now, when you look at NF NIL dollars coming in, when you're looking at other booster donations coming in anymore, it's not that much. I mean, I mean the, I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that the question got asked of me about, Hey, we're, we're now paying out upwards of $45 million over the last 20 years. It's two and a quarter million dollars a year over the last 20 years. In the big picture, that's not that much money. When you were talking about major college football and the budgets that we're dealing with at this level, and if you want an example of this, so that's $45 million over 20 years. The next TV contract that Nebraska is going to be involved with, with the Big Ten, is likely going to pay Nebraska somewhere between, what, 90 and $110 million yeah. per year. So that $45 million over 20 years or two and a quarter million dollars a year, when you're looking at ballpark $100 million a year coming in solely from the TV contract. This isn't ticket sales, booster donations, NIL donations, et cetera. This is just TV money that you're getting. All of a sudden, that additional $7.5 million, that doesn't look like a very much money. I don't know the structure of the buyout with Scott's contract. Are they going to pay it out over X number of years or whatever? Who knows? The bottom line is, is that when you're looking at the overall budgets that we're dealing with in this day and age, it's not that much money. Now, you're right, Christine. To you and me, that's a shitload of cash, right? I definitely take seven and a half. I could retire now if I had seven and a half million dollars that you just gave me. And that's only half the buyout. The buyout's 15. But but here's the danger, right? If you don't fire him now, you got a shitstorm against Oklahoma because it would probably fall apart. I think they have a much better chance to compete with the Sooners now. It was going to be a shitstorm if he stuck around. Then you have fan apathy that sets in and your sellout streak disappears. Recruiting. Recruiting starts to suffer. So in the long run, you could probably make the business case 
And we'll get to Trev Alberts talking about the it's timing of it right cost. now. It, 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 it's it's really <laughs> it's soft. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know, and in, I found it very interesting. I found it very interesting in his when he was asked the first question. I think that he took from the press was uh, regarding this, and he said, you know, it, it was for, you know for the kids, for the players that uh, you know this this week. It, I mean, again, you know, viewership Oklahoma going to be a uh, a very uh, big broadcast. But what would be the difference about waiting another 19 days? I mean, so, really, in the grand scheme. So here's the thing, Christine. I think you, you you hit the nail on the head. You mentioned Trev's comment about the kids. From a player standpoint, if you know your coach is a lame duck head coach, as a player, you're already moving on. I mean, this is one of these deals where you're sitting here and you know that the, that your head coach is done. Your head coach is getting fired. That this is no longer the head of your program, and this is the guy that it's you're, you're still having to answer to this guy. But you know he's going to get fired here in a in, in a couple of weeks, in two three weeks down the road. Christine, thanks for the phone yeah, call. I mean, it's, I appreciate it's, it. Yeah, I, I totally get the, the question, but I mean, in terms of the dynamic that it has with the players, if I'm a player, I'm saying let's move on. Let's be done with this. Let's go on. Give me somebody who's going to be my point person, who's going to be the person that I can look to and take direction from going forward, and that's who I want. Really quick on her comment about with Mickey, you know what? I love Mickey. We'll see what happens with this. It's something I think we're going to touch on later in the podcast here. Um, there's not a lot of African-American coaches. I'll say this. I don't think they brought Mickey in because Mickey's an African-American coach with the idea that they're going to have hire him as the next head coach for Nebraska as an African-American head coach. They brought Mickey in because Mickey's a fucking great coach. Now, he would have to – and even Trev Albert said today that uh, if things go right and, 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 and Mickey can be in the conversation. And, but right now, right now, here is uh, Trev talking about the process that will be the search for the next, next Nebraska coach. Obviously, we're going to do a national search. You know, We're going to engage some third-party help, mostly for logistics and other things. Want you to know as well, and I would encourage our fans and everyone to recognize there will be a lot of rumors out there. There's going to be a lot of innuendo. Um, I want you to know that that these sort of decisions and processes are not made in a silo. I have a lot of great mentors and friends that we'll be working with. Um, and ultimately, you know, in a prior life, I have relationships with a lot of coaches in this business, and I intend to reach out to a lot of people. And so if you hear that Trev Alberts reached out to XYZ Coach, it doesn't mean that I've offered the job to XYZ Coach. I think there's some fabulous coaches out there that have a perspective about our job that I could benefit from. 402-543-5556. Interesting, and he, he reiterated that a lot. You're going to hear rumor and innuendo uh, of people that uh, uh, he's going to talk to and not to jump the gun, and that, that job's been offered. Mark, welcome to the Doc Talk Podcast. What's going on, Mark? Oh, just watching you guys on the big screen TV here <laughs> while I'm drinking a fairy nectar. Nice. Oh, no, I love uh, it. <laughs> just got uh, one question. 
how many more buyouts are going to be done because I cannot believe they're going to keep this entire coaching staff. If they get to hire a new guy or Mickey stays, I'm just kind of wondering on that. That's Thanks. a great question. I, you know, um, you know, so I think the guys that came in, they, they did, what was it? A two year deal. I think, yeah, mo- I mo- think most every- assistant coaches are on two year deal now. Yeah. Every- if you get fired, you got a year to, to go look for a job. Yeah. So everybody gets a two year deal. So there's definitely buyouts in place. Um, I was going to make a comment about the fact that I think normally when you bring in a new coach, you kind of give them the leeway, the discretion to build their own staff no matter what. That being said, Nebraska, I mean, God bless Ron Brown. I love the guys watching him on TV on the sideline last night. But, I mean, it, it's you've got a number of guys who keep getting ret- retained in some degree – I, I'll be interested to see how this works out, especially with the new guys. Mickey is a guy that I think has a massive amount of respect across coaching circles in general in terms of both coaching ability as well as recruiting ability. And those are really, really valued commodities in this day and age. I, I would be probably a little bit surprised if Mickey does not a, get the head job, and or B, get retained by whoever does get the head job. I don't think he's getting the head job. I don't. Um, I don't I, think he's getting it. You know, I don't think so. I don't think so either. But at the same time, I still sit around and I think, why did, why did he get hired and get slapped with associate head coach title? Uh, for money? Because Brian Kelly wanted him to stay at, at LSU. Then why why not just say you're the wide receiver coach? Here's your fucking salary, and it's the same salary. Because listen, you, I stumped you're, you you're, right. There. No, you didn't. Because you, you could say you're the you, bullshit. Dude, Let me tell you why. You're me, the no, wide receiver coach, you, you, and you're the recruiting. Let me tell poo-bah. you why. Let me tell you why. Why associate head coach? Because so many fucking people are caught up with a corporate title today. People need to have a fucking thing on their stupid business card. I see it every single day in the corporate world. You're a doctor. That's all you fucking need, man. You are a fucking doctor. That's it. Guess what? Do you know Mickey Joseph? I'm telling you. Hold titles on. I mean something. Do you know Mickey Joseph? Personally, no. I do. Okay. I know him personally. You don't think he needs a title? I don't think he is a rat's fucking ass. I, I, I'm Sorry, telling you, Dave. man. I, I, I think people want titles. I really do. I think people do. I don't think Rick, I don't think Ricky. Oh my God. I don't think Mickey gives a rat's ass. That's fine. But sometimes you need to have but titles I, to I'm justify trying, a salary. I'm not kidding. I'm just saying, why not get in college football coach? Dude, you got strength coaches making $600,000 a year. Like as recently as uh, I'll say 10 to 12 years ago, some of the best college strength coaches I know left college strength coaching and are now orthopedic equipment reps because the money is better as a salesman. Now guys are making over half a million dollars a year as a college strength coach. You don't need the title. Just say you're the wide receiver coach. Here's your 700 grand done. And oh, by the way, You've got this reputation as an awesome recruiter that goes in with it. Do you think that's two hundred thousand of your seven hundred thousand dollars salary? 
I think he got that title for a reason, and I think there's at least a chance he's in the mix. I'm not saying it's going to be Mickey at all. You know, and I would actually say, you know, if you're even going to say it's going to be 49, 51% odds, I'd say it's 49% Mickey becomes the next head coach. It's it's less than half that he becomes the next head coach. I'm just saying I think he got that title for a reason, and I do think there is a chance. Any more questions, Mark? Sorry, Mark started uh, a fight. Really. Sorry, you started a fight yeah, there between we, we, Trav You started and a I. fight, Mark. But, yeah. but here's the thing, yeah, I was, Mark. I was, I was waiting for blows to start going. <laughs> Trust me, he would kick my ass. Here's look the at, thing. I got to show you this. Look at this. My son found this today. I don't know if Owen can, can bring that up. Look at, look at the size of Rob in the back. The dude is fucking huge. You're making Zach Wiegert look small, dude. And I'm in the back. It's like Zach's the fish you hold out towards the camera in the photo. The uh, oh, you're killing me, dude. I, I didn't. What was it with you? Your family members holding on to Husker memorabilia. You and all your family. They, Stop all it. Iowa State Stop fans. it. Stop, Mark. Dude, you're a Cyclone fan, dude. That, thanks, Mark. I appreciate the phone call. 402-543-5556. You can see now we're taking phone calls. Uh, go ahead and call in now. We got another call coming there. I thought we had another call coming in. We'd love to hear more from you because this is what we want it to be. We want it to be an interactive show. Uh, of course, you can leave the comments, I think, on YouTube, on Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, but but damn it, we, we really want your phone call. So why don't you go ahead and call, again, 402-543-5556. You, we're speaking of Mickey Joseph, and here is what uh, Trev Alberts had to say today about Mickey Joseph taking over on an interim basis. Uh, I communicated to Mickey that Mickey's the head coach. Um, I won't meddle in Mickey's decision-making process. I encouraged Mickey to be the head coach and make decisions as the head coach. And so... Uh, He'll ultimately have an opportunity probably with all of you to explain. I think there will be some changes. He explained some of the changes with the team. There will be some structural changes and things that I think Mickey believes in, which will uh, will be good going forward. Changes. He didn't think – now, Trev went on to later on and said he didn't think he was going to get fired before the season was over. But what, when, you, when you hear structural changes, what do you think? Um, I do wonder a little bit if there's going to be some staff changes. But he said. But he said later on that nobody was going to get fired. He didn't think any staff changes. Well, I didn't say. Place. I didn't say staff. I mean, nobody getting fired. So but you think a, a mix from of, a responsibility okay. standpoint, I think things change a bit. Um, boy, that's a good question. And I was kind of curious about what that meant. And when Trev said it, I did watch the press conference this afternoon. I did kind of wonder exactly what Trev meant when he said that here. So B Blair says, fuck my title. What's the number on my paycheck? That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair, fair. But I do know people who want titles. And sometimes I get it. And sometimes in the corporate world you have to give and I'm not saying football is a corporate world, but it's getting more and more like that. That sometimes you have to go, okay. To justify a certain pay amount, we have to get. You just can't call him a wide receivers coach because it's got to be something higher than that. That's just idiotic. I know it's idiotic. You know it's idiotic, but it's the truth. I get it. I just the moment Mickey got hired, the feeling in my head was 
All right, some of this shit is for a reason, so... Uh, structural changes equal Mickey has free reign to reallocate resources as he sees fit. I don't disagree with that. Define uh, resources. I guess that'd be my question. If you don't, if you don't like Eric, Eric Schnander being your defensive coordinator, you're no longer going to be calling the fucking defense. Who's calling it? I don't know. You tell me that. I don't know. Yeah, I, that's a good question, but I do wonder that. Which, which here's the thing that's kind of interesting for me. I'm just going to throw this out there. 2021. All of a sudden, we looked at Chenander, and everybody's like, oh, my God, this guy actually does know defense. Look at this. These I know. Guys, these guys are playing great. The defense is not what's letting us down. In terms of four, four years and three games of a fifth season, that 2021 season is still the one-off defensively. Rob, we've got calls lined up. Like let's, the call dude, screener is, dude, you know, we need first a, of all, we I should take another call. Dude. I, I need to thank a couple of people. First of all, my son, Owen, who's directing tonight's broadcast. Uh, he's become a, 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 a he's he's kind of running this whole visionary thing of of this studio and he's directing. And then Lizzie Roberts, who's our call screener tonight. Uh, she's answering all the phone calls. So I want to do want to thank everybody. This this doesn't happen without a, without a group of people. So we'll buy them a beer. And, and Rob's bartending tonight, just to let you know. Let's go to Bill. Um, Bill, welcome to the Doc Talk podcast. What's going on, Bill? Hey, good evening, guys. How you doing? Good. Good. Well, everybody's talking about, obviously, the stuff that we've seen with Mickey Joseph and obviously the coaching staff and Scott Frost. I have kind of questions behind the scenes. You know, one person everybody seems to have forgotten in this whole thing is Matt Davidson. You know, where where's he? where does he kind of fit in this? He's the guy that was ultimately trying to recruit Frost. I mean, everybody wanted to recruit Frost. Let's, let's not rewrite history here. I know you got some know-it-alls who have really come out and said, oh, I never wanted Scott Frost to come. And let's be real, everybody, 95 to 98% wanted him, including myself. I was wrong. I'll, I'll put the thumb there. Listen, it, hey, Bill, but where does Matt Davidson Bill, fall into this? Bill, it was a home run hire. Nobody, everybody in the Oh, absolutely. It, yeah, it was a home run hire. So was Fred Hoiberg. I, I mean, yeah, at the time, I felt the 100% that that was going to be a great hire. I mean, although, I mean, we can go back well before then. When Steve Peterson got hired at the time of his hiring, I thought that was a home run hire. So, I mean, he's yeah, a piece the, of shit. Sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not denying that either. I'm just saying at the day you're hired, it's very easy to look at that, especially with hindsight, and say, God, we thought this was going to be great. No, you're right. But, I mean, I was there for the hiring press conference. You were? You never saw a higher mood in that stadium, in those offices, the day Scott got hired. I mean, it was one of those, like, oh, my God, thank God we finally fixed this shit. We're going back... To the Osborne era, I mean, he's going to come in. He's going to win maybe, I don't know, eight or nine games his first year, and then it's going to be Big Ten titles after that as far as the eye can see. It's going to be great. And it didn't happen. Didn't happen. That, it didn't be, even come close. And and that's why it's a crapshoot. It's a gamble. You don't know. Whoever Trev Alberts hires, you don't know. And that's you have the thing, no clue. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. The thing I keep going back to is that, you know, I'm going back to the whole University of Houston, University of Texas thing. That going from success at one of these more, 
I guess call it freewheeling systems where you can kind of kind of throw a bunch of shit out there and hope it works. And now, Bill, I do want to bring something up because you brought up a very good point. You still there, Bill? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, so you brought up Matt Davis. We're we're ignoring your question. I'm not going to ignore it. Truth is, that's a great question, and it's one of those touchy. Because Matt si- Davison went from being a broadcaster to basically an associate AD with Frost time. He, there's no way he's going to keep that job. And let's be honest, those two are as thick as thieves. They've been buddies for a long time. Jared Lamprecht, who, who's helped us out. He's brought two really good football players onto this podcast. We can't thank him enough for doing that. Jared Lamprecht was forced out by, by Trev Alberts. Okay? Scott Frost is gone. Bill Moose is gone. Conventional wisdom would tell you is the door is going to hit Matt Davison on the ass on the way out. I would be very, very surprised if Matt retains his position. Does that answer your question, Bill? It does answer my question. I mean, basically what I'm getting at, fellas, is I want to complete nothing's working and I want a complete sweep. You want to I want a complete cleaning out of the gutted. football department. I gutted. want it gutted and I want it re I want to remodel. That's basically what, I, what I'm getting at. Good stuff. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate the call, man. Thanks, guys. Take yep, care. Not a problem. Uh, who's up next? Uh, Justin is up next. Justin, welcome to the uh, Doc Talk podcast. What's up, Justin? Let me try hey, this again. Thanks, guys. Out hey. here in Kansas City. Hey, what's going on? Hey, can you hear me? Yep, gotcha. Okay, cool. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Love you guys' show. Uh, down here in Kansas City, grew up in Fremont. But my question is... Um, do we go for the home run coach and okay assistance, or do we go for an up and coming uh, coach and go for awesome assistance? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting you brought that up. And I don't know if you're watching and talking to us at the same time, but I'm going to bring this up right now. So who's next? This is Doc's top six. Okay. There, there's, there, we have no proof, but Doc threw these out there. Lance Leipold from Kansas. There's a connection there. Lance was a, a kind of a, a special assistant under Bill Callahan, former UNO uh, offensive coordinator, running backs coach. Tremendous success at Wisconsin Whitewater. Really good success at Buffalo. And Kansas is off to a 2-0 start now. Won at West Virginia last night. Good offense, right? Dr. off Texas last year. Matt Campbell at Iowa State. You can't argue what Matt Campbell has done as far as building a program. Mark Stoops at Kentucky. And the reason Mark Stoops is an interesting hire because he knows now, as John Calipari said earlier in the year, it's a basketball school. So Mark Stoops is going to be like, well, fuck this. If I can't get a basketball guy on my, on, on my, on my side, I'm going to get the hell out of Kentucky. Now, these are, these are Rob's guys. Bill O'Brien at, at Alabama, Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. And, and he, I've heard this one more than Jeff Monken at, uh, at, at Army. So do, do I get to comment on these? Yes, here? I just wanted to read them before okay, you. Okay, so Lance Leipold, I've been a longtime Leipold fan. I love the guy because I think – he is one of the best coaches and program builders out there, and he's built programs from scratch. Buffalo went into the tank when uh, when Turner Gill left there to go to Kansas, which the parallels here are mind-blowing. But he was a really, really good program builder, and he got Buffalo back up and running again, came to KU, and all of a sudden, I mean, his first year, he had a couple of defining wins. They knocked off Texas. I know we crack jokes about that all the time. 
But he's got KU playing better now than I have ever seen KU play. I would agree. I would agree. Since the Mangino era. And that's, I mean, that's kind of saying a lot. I mean, that it's it's a basketball school. Anyway, love Lance Leipold. Matt Campbell, you know, I kind of throw him and Bill O'Brien in there. They're sort of like a, they were my fifth choice. You asked me earlier for, hey, who are your top five? Yep. Campbell and Bill O'Brien are sort of like, 5a and 5b Campbell in the sense my the misgivings about him are in some of these games that I've watched where he has the athletes that I think he should be doing far better he doesn't I would I know what you mean by that I mean I mean every so often I just look at him I'm like God, you should win this game. You should knock off Oklahoma State. You should win this game against Iowa. I know he just beat Iowa, but, I mean, he just beat Iowa that has arguably – I mean, this might be the worst offense Iowa has ever had. It's the worst fucking offense in the country right now. and They're they, horrible. They, they're, it, it is by far the worst What was the, the score up? of the game yesterday? 10-7. to seven. You beat the worst offense in the country – 10 to 7. Yes. I it, it wasn't pretty. A, like I it's it's one of these things I look at Campbell and I'm just like you know for a guy that everybody used to talk about as being sort of like Urban Meyer Jr. he's been okay. I think if people look at it and go, well he's done it at Iowa State so that's saying something. And I get it. Well, Scott Frost did it at Central Florida. So that's saying something. True. I'll give you that. Okay. Bill O'Brien, 5B. I was always impressed with what Bill O'Brien did at Penn State immediately post-Paterno. You had sanctions, scholarships cut. I mean, that that might have been the most, like, unworthy job on the planet. Nobody wanted that job. Nobody wanted anything anything to do with that place. Nobody wanted anything to do with that name. Nobody wanted to be there. And Bill O'Brien went in and won. He had winning seasons. That was always a tough out when he was the head coach there. It was an incredibly tough situation to be in. And I kind of wonder what happens if you take Bill O'Brien, bring him into Lincoln in a tough situation, a tough place with massively high expectations, what could Bill O'Brien do? Now, my misgivings about him is that he goes down to Houston. Was Players freaking hated his ass there. He was not a well-liked coach. Now, some of that is is that it's the NFL level and there's a huge difference between college players and NFL players. And maybe this is a college versus NFL thing. But I'd be interested to see what a guy like him could do. Um, going on down the list, Mark Stoops. You've got an SEC coach. There's kind of this dichotomous argument here that, Travis, you yourself brought up about the basketball school. I look at Mark Stoops, and my first thought process is, why would this guy ever leave an SEC school where he's got access to the SEC athletes, SEC money, 
it's a really good position to be in, especially when you consider the fact that I don't think the expectations for football are, are all that high at Kentucky. And so he's in he's in what I would say, I mean, at least at first glance, it's a win-win. And I, I you know, you bring up though, I mean, the corollary argument, I mean, the, the counter argument here is that it's a basketball school. And that's the thing where I start to wonder, like, okay, well, even if you start having a lot of success at Kentucky, are you still gonna always feel like you're kind of that second fiddle guy? You're you're the also team at, at that school. Absolutely, absolutely, he will there. Yeah, and and that's the thing at Kentucky. I I mean, as a football coach, if you were gonna tell me, hey, you're gonna be at a school, you're gonna have you're in the SEC. That in itself is a win. You're gonna have access to recruiting all throughout the South. That's a win. But bet you're a basketball school. You're you're the Duke of the SEC. I, I mean, at the end of the day, though, basketball will always be number one in Kentucky. It will never be football. I get it. Football and brings in the money, that, though. Football is bringing going to bring him in a hundred fucking million dollars a and, year. And that's what I wonder is 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 that enough to keep Mark Stoops at Kentucky? Because I look at him. If you want to know how good a recruiter this guy is. Go back to Wandale Robinson. I mean, we we saw in real time a kid flip-flop between these two schools. Um, Anyway, so I like Mark Stoops. I think he's a very good coach. Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. I mean, for for, for people who don't know who Chris is, Craig Bull is the guy who got North Dakota State up and running in terms of winning national titles. Chris Kleiman's the guy who kept that going. Now at Kansas State, very good coach, outstanding group of assistants. Lori, Mike, Jason, and Jason Stanhol, we're going to get to your phone calls, but I want to hear from uh, from Trevor Roberts, who talked about hiring the next coach and admitting that, you know what, no college coaching job is perfect by any means. Every single job in college football has challenges. This job has advantages to other jobs, and it has some disadvantages. It's the same thing with every job in college football. We have 1.8 million people in this state. That's not going to change. But we got some built-in advantages here. So we need to play to our strengths and build on those, right? And so the right kind of coach, I think, sees this as an opportunity um, to rebuild and build something special here. Lori, where are you calling from? Hi, it's Lori from Grand Island. Hi, How Lori. Are you? Great, Lori. Or Lori, question for you. Uh, are you are you a GI Pardon? Northwest person or a GI Senior High person? Grand Island Central Catholic. Oh, see, we're going third option there. That's John Perella <laughs> okay. high right um, there. By the way, Rob just opened a fuck COVID beer. Just to let you know, I Lori. did from. Uh, what was what brewery was that? My I buddy, forget. my my buddy John Rice Ale Asylum, which my buddy John, med school classmate, let us know, not even in in business anymore. Well, I'm drinking a Hazy Rabbit India Pale Ale from Lakefront Brewery Company. Both these beers from Steve Swanstrom, the uh, CEO and president of Centris Federal Credit Union. Sorry, Lori, what's your question? All right, Lori from John Perella High. 
Okay, so um, just a quick comment for you guys to um, discuss tonight. My um, concern is moving forward. Um, yes, I was a Scott Frost fan. Probably will um, continue to follow him wherever he lands. But we need to keep our Nebraska high school recruits on the team. I get it. We have this um, hotshot. Uh, quarterback from Texas right now, but what about our own in-state talent? I'd like to see more of that at Nebraska. Um, Good you question. Know, Sam Fultz, Sam Fultz, you know, where where are those recruits at? We need to have them in Lincoln. I and, think that would help us also. And, and you know, I think that's a I, I think that's a thing that I think a lot of coaches give lip service to when they first arrive. I think Scott did a good job year one in locking down the local talent. I really do. After that, I think it slipped a little bit, and I think he kind of started going back out nationally where it was he was looking for those four star, five star guys outside of Nebraska. You look at a lot of kids within the state of Nebraska now. I mean, there's a huge number of guys in Nebraska that are currently playing for other D1 schools outside the state. That's a little, that, that, that kind of bothered me a little bit. Now, there's a little bit of personal interest here in the sense that I got a, I got a nephew who's playing football for Missouri right now. He's in a great spot. It's a good move for him. But yeah, I would have loved to have seen him and Lincoln. I would have loved to have seen guys like, uh, you know, well, honestly, it's half the Bellevue West's roster. Uh, Keegan Johnson. Lincoln. Well, Ke Keegan's a great one. Mike O'Reilly Ducker. I mean, you got some of these, you know, uh, um, you got Jay Duckers down at Memphis right now. I mean, you've got a lot of these kids who I, I sit around. I'm like, why are these guys not in Lincoln? I, I mean, there was a period of time where you looked at Nebraska's backfield at running back, and, and you went, I mean, you went Amon Green and Clinton Childs and Damon Benning. And it just, I mean, you went three or four deep and it was Omaha kids alone. It doesn't have to be just Omaha. But it's one of these things where, you know, if you're in the state of Nebraska, why are not all of these guys going to Nebraska? It's a great question. Uh, well, I still think, I yeah. still think the North Dakotas, the North Dakota states, the South Dakota states, there, there, there's some pull there, right? And the fact that there's the ability to play. Do you want to be a walk-on? Do you want to be a, a practice team guy, or do you, do you want to play? Do you want to have that chance to yes. play right away? And I agree yeah. that that plays into it. But I think a lot of these guys would have gone to Nebraska if given that chance. And I'm not sure that's something that some of these kids would have had an opportunity to do under Frost. Lori, now, good question. We appreciate it. It is. It. Now, in my corollary to that question is that are we going to see that under a new coach? Or are they going to come in and they're going to suddenly start keeping all of these in-state kids actually in-state? I don't know that. I would hope they do, but that's something that I'm not sure we're going to see. 
Thanks, Lori. I appreciate the phone call. Good stuff. Very, very good stuff. Um, if you have a phone call, just uh, keep on calling. That's what uh, Mike is doing. Uh, Mike, welcome to the Doc Talk podcast. What's going on, Mike? Hey. Um, hey, I, I'm, I'm a Nebraska fan. I had to move to Missouri two years ago because of my job. But uh, so I, I feel like Nebraska went off the rails when, when we fired uh, Frank. You know, ninety-three. Oh, hundred percent. Kind of went. I mean, we went off the rails then, um, and then it just kind of it's like mind blowing, you know. Um, and I, I'm a I was a huge Scott. I was a huge fan of the Scott Frost hire. Um, I thought that was going to be like the big big savior thing, you know. Obviously, that didn't work out. Obviously, um, but. Uh, so now all the, you know, you look at Twitterverse and you go, everybody's talking about Urban Meyer. Is, do you think that's no, even a, a, I you just, that's, I you mean, know, I, it's, I feel, you know, that's I a great dirty even thing, Urban Meyer, but you yeah. know, I mean, that's but, a great, that, you think that's even a chance or that's a great question. I mean, there's kind of two ways to look at this one. Is there a chance? I mean, I suppose so. I, I just that would surprise the hell out of me based on oh, what I'd we be know shocked based on what we know about Trev Alberts and the type of man right. he is and the type I mean his son went to one of the service academies Trev never right. ever ever wants to even try to embarrass any part of the university or himself there is a lot of baggage with Urban going all the way back to Florida that I oh, that yeah. I don't think I don't oh. think Trev wants anything to do with. I you know, you look at his record, if there, there there's a certain number of coaches and there's not a lot of them. And it's guys that I think you could probably take them and put them anywhere and give them a little bit of time. And when I say little bit, one to three years, and they're gonna have you winning a shit ton of football games. And that's right. Urban so, Meyer. Here, here, that's here, Nick Saban. It's guys like that. I I totally think Urban's in that group. It's just when it, you look at the Florida baggage. When you if you go back and look at Ohio State, I think some of that gets swept under the rug quite a bit. Oh yeah. There was there was a so, ton so of here, baggage here, there. Here's the Urban timeline. The Urban timeline is Urban comes in. He he brings in his staff, whatever the staff he is. And then he and it gets dirty. It's all dirty and all shady and everything. But he brings in a staff. Then all of a sudden, there's some health reason or family reason. He jettisons out right before the investigation starts. But then he leaves the program better, way better than what it was what it was when he got there. He'll win. I don't yeah. disagree. And, with that. and I'll get it. And, and I'm I'm not gonna. You know, Florida was not maybe better or hasn't been better necessarily since he left. They, they've done pretty well. I mean, Ron Zook was an okay coach after Urban. They've done okay since Zook. You know, you look at Ohio State. I think Ohio State is sort of this outlier in the sense that I don't know what happened there, but somebody sold their soul for the Buckeyes because you go from Trestle, who is an amazing coach, to Urban Meyer today, I mean, you've got 
you, you had Fickle for what, one year in there? Yeah, the interim year, yeah. Yeah, the and interim they, year. It's kind of hard to claim him. But you've got three coaches there from Trestle to Urban today, and all three of those guys are just absolutely amazing football coaches. I, but Urban had a lot of baggage there at Ohio State. He had a lot of baggage at Florida. I don't know if Trent Watch wants to touch Watch the Aaron Hernandez that. fucking documentary. Oh, my God. It's a train wreck. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. That's oh, all you have to do. Actually, Watch. you know what? Forget the, forget the college stuff. Go look at the goddamn videos of Urban with the chick lap dancing on his lap at the bar when he's the head coach at Jacksonville. I mean, what an absolutely yeah, unmitigated listen, disaster. You're right. I can, But you know what? I've had a lap dance at a strip bar. I'm not going to say anything. It I, wasn't a strip bar. That's the problem. That, that, and it was some that, that, other gal. Fine. And he's married, and it wasn't his wife. I get it. I'm just saying the Aaron Hernandez stuff is much worse than... A, 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 a girl, you know, rubbing her ass so, in, some, in his crotch. Some girl fangirling on yes. him. It, watch the Aaron Hernandez documentary. And you I've go, watched it. It's that a guy's train a wreck. piece of shit. Aaron or Urban? Urban. Both. Yeah, they kind of both there, are. There's a whole lot of baggage with Urban. Yeah. It is. I, I worry about that, but it's one of those things. I don't think he's remotely in the discussion, and I would be shocked if Trev's looking at him. Hey, uh, Mike, thanks for the oh, phone call. I appreciate you it. You don't think the big money guys? No, go ahead. You don't think the big money boosters are pushing that? I don't think so because I think the big money guys are 100% aware of that baggage. They don't want that shit here either. They don't want to pay for that. You don't think the big money guys don't want to win? They you, want to win, but he, guys, after what? Well, after what we through all these years here's the thing the big money guys don't want to get back they want to pay for wins they don't want to pay to cover up that baggage and here's the thing guys that <sighs> urban's got a track record okay both in wins is also in the baggage everywhere he's been there's been that baggage he had it at University of Florida. He had it at Ohio State. He had that baggage in Jacksonville. The guy generates baggage wherever he's at. It doesn't matter. If they bring oh, yeah. him here, they're going to pay, be paying for wins, and they're going to be paying to cover up the behind-the-scenes shit. And honestly, they don't want that. I mean, it's – dude – Urban just, honestly, he needs to go back to Fox Sports and do his broadcast thing because, honestly, he was as good at that as he was at coaching, and he'll make damn near as much money doing that as he did at coaching. Hey, Mike, thanks for the phone call. Very much appreciated. Thanks for watching. Hey, hey, yeah. hey, quick, 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 quick side note. So a couple of years ago, I had my knee replacement done, and you, you, know, who, you know who my anesthesiologist was? Dr. Rob. Nope, nope. The count. Oh, Monte Cristo. Monte Cristo. Yeah, that's one of my partners. We love Monte. He goes, goes, hey, I'm Monte Cristo. And I was like, you're the count. (laughs) (laughs) It was the best. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. We need to get get the count uh, on this show. We we, we need to get the count in here. I can probably swing that at some point. That guy is crazy smart when it comes to football Hey, will you do me a favor while I take this call? Will you grab me another beer, please? 
Do you want it out of a bottle or a can? Whatever you grab, I don't really care. Okay, that, I mean that's kind of what we do here on the Doc Talk podcast. We uh, we don't really care we where the drink beer comes, and we know we, we drink. Jason out in Pennsylvania, who's delivered us some beer uh, more than one time. Jason, oh hell yeah! Welcome to the Doc Talk podcast, Jason. Hey, how are you guys doing? Great. Hey, first time caller, long time listener. <laughs> We've only been fucking taking phone calls <laughs> like multi, for a week. Multi time drinker <laughs> with Rob. <laughs> Absolutely. Rob, you said something earlier, and I know you know Mickey pretty well. You, know, you guys are talking about the assistant coaches being more like the buddy-buddy type thing, and Mickey being the recruiter he is really develops that buddy-buddy. How do you think that's going to transition over to when he becomes the internet? Um, Boy, that's a good With question. The whole, like CEO type thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um. There's a lot of head coaches that I regard as really, really good recruiters, and you do not have to be that buddy-buddy kind of guy to be, the, to be the great recruiter. Some of the best recruiting pitches I've heard, like you can find this shit, go do an internet search, hop on Google, jump on YouTube, and look for, and, and, it's, and this is all Nick Saban stuff. Look for Nick Saban recruiting pitch. Google Nick Saban recruiting. Google Nick Saban recruiting video. There's a number of these leaked videos out there, especially since COVID hit and guys and everybody did everything online. Um, Saban is an almost. I, I I use the word brutal in a good sense. His recruiting pitch is brutal because if you hear it, you're sitting there and you're going like, okay, I'm going to go play for this guy. This is a done deal. And it reminds me a lot. If you want to, I mean, a good comparison for the, for the 45, 50 plus crowd would be like the old Barry Switzer recruiting pitch where he would basically tell recruits, listen, you can come here and play for Oklahoma or you can go someplace else and have Oklahoma score 50 points upon you. And that was his recruiting pitch. And get and recruits had no response to it. There was, there was no counter-argument because during the better part of this 1970s, 1980s, Oklahoma was going to score freaking 50 points on you and there's nothing you could do about it. Alabama is now in that same boat, and and essentially Saban tells all of his recruits, listen, here's the thing. You can go someplace else, and you, you might be the top dog at that school. Or you can come to Alabama, where all we have are four- and five-star recruits, and you can see how you're going to match up against the best. If you truly think you're the best, come where all the other best guys are and let's see how you do against those guys. And he's right. Recruits know it. And they and they keep going to Alabama because they're like, you know what? I want to be the best. I think I'm the best. I'm going to go where all the other best players are at, and I'm going to try and measure up against that. I, I mean, it's it, it, it's Alpha Dog 101 on steroids, and it works, and it works for 
any sport. And so that's the thing when I look at this where you don't have to be a player's buddy, buddy, best friend, let's hang out, we're going to be all chummy. You can still be that CEO. You can still be the guy that runs the program. I think back to my own recruiting, talking with Milt Tenniper and Dan Young and Dave Gillespie, who was the recruiting coordinator back in the days when schools could have a recruiting coordinator. The thing that hit home for me were the conversations when you would actually talk to Tom Osborne and Tom would tell you, listen, we got a spot for you. We think you'd fit in great here. We're going to do everything we can to help you. But the bottom line is, is you need to come here. You're going to be going against the best. You're going to be competing against the best guys in the country. And if you want to play here, you've got to beat them out. Brian, welcome to the Doc Talk Podcast. What's going on, Brian? Hey guys, good show tonight. Thank uh, you. I got a question. I got a question posed for Rob. Uh, you know, being a former lineman on the pipeline here, one thing since Nebraska's uh, transition and joined the Big Ten that I felt like they've never solved, and obviously feel free to disagree is with the consistent line play, whether it be offense and or defense. And I'll just focus on the defensive part of the side here. We've always seemed on the smallish side, with the exception of maybe one or two seasons since we've joined the Big Ten. And ultimately, a lot of the seasons, particularly as it goes along in league play, we get pushed around. And I think as we go forward with a new coach, you know, he's got to be able to solve that. And I'm guessing Trev's got to ask that question is, hey, what is your vision and plan to win in the Big Ten? And if they don't get the line issue solved, you know, we're going to be just treading water as we go forward. But uh, I'd like to get Rob's take on that issue. Damn, stuff, that's, a, that's a good question. It is good stuff. It really is. So I, I think, you know, you you hit the nail on the head there because I look at, I, I think Bo Pelini really had a system that he had really geared things towards success in the Big 12. And different conferences do have different styles. It, it's, it's, it's not like Baylor, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Texas, at least as of now. Um that's a completely different style than what you see in the SEC or the Big Ten. It's, I mean, it's kind of freewheeling. It's a lot closer to what you see in the Sun Belt. Um, Travis, what conference is Houston in? Well, they're in uh, Conference, uh, USA, conference USA, but soon okay. to be in the Big 12. Okay. Again, everybody's moving to the Big 12, but Conference USA, AAC, Sun Belt, it's a little bit more indisciplined. It's a little bit more freewheeling. Um, but the, but that kind of stuff worked in the big 12. It really did. I mean, if you move to the big 10, if you move to the sec, I mean, there's a little bit of a change there. And, and I, I, I do think there's a change in terms of line play, especially. And there was something as you go through these coaches, you look at Mike Riley. I think Mike Riley was, I'm going to do what I did in the pack 12 and this is going to work. 
what I did at Oregon State is going to work at Nebraska. And it was kind of these smaller recruits, these quick guys. I, I mean, we're talking guys. He wanted speed guys and offensive guard, and it just wasn't going to work. And I think with Scott, I think he maybe. I mean, if Scott did anything wrong, I almost kind of wonder if he overshot a little bit. I mean, he was like, he was trying to find like small basketball centers and turn them into offensive tackles, quite frankly. But I mean, you've got to have guys who can match up in terms of the systems that you're going to be seeing across the conference. And when you look at the Big Ten and you look at the SEC, you're looking at two conferences that are built upon A, very sound fundamental football and are built upon run games and power football. And if that's not who you're recruiting for, you're going to have some trouble with that. So, yeah, I do agree with you. I think Scott came in and, I mean, you remember his quote about the whole, like, we hope we hope the Big Ten has to adjust to our yes. system. Yes. Yeah, that wasn't going to happen. No. Not at all. Because the, the, the Big Ten adjusted just fine. It, it's done just fine. And it has for decades, and, by the way. Exactly. Three yards in a cloud of dust is what it has been for decades, and it's what's going to be for decades. And the SEC is the same way. I mean, everybody thinks of it as different. The SEC is the Big Ten with maybe one more star after most of their recruits. 402-543-5556. Again, that's 402-543-5556. Let's go to uh, Greg down in Oklahoma. Greg, welcome to the Doc Talk Podcast. What's going on, man? Good evening, Iowa fan. How are you? Uh, you know what? Uh, you know what? I'm doing Cyclone fine. Cyclone fam. Cyclone I'm not a Cyclone fan. fan. I'm an Iowa fan, and I, and I, you know, it was a bad day yesterday because you know it could be worse. And I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, in all sincerity, Greg, the funny thing is, I I host the Iowa Hawkeye Collins Show on uh, on a radio station in Des Moines. And never before. Now, I was coming off a Big Ten West Division championship, played in the Big Ten title game last year. I've never seen in my tenure, and I've been doing that show nine years now, more people call for a head coach to be fired at Iowa than it was yesterday. Never seen it. It was unbelievable. Because of, fans because of no, because of stubbornness of not wanting to adapt and the nepotism that takes place with your son being the offensive I'll coordinator. I'll give you that. They do need a new coordinator. It, it, it's just, I mean, it never worked with Ken O'Keefe. It never worked with Greg Davis, who used to be at Texas. People remember him. He was Vince Young's offensive coordinator. And people are realizing, well, really, Kirk Ferentz runs the offense because nothing's changed. And people are now like, well, you have the worst offense in the, in country. the country. And and Rob, you're right. The worst Iowa offense I've ever seen, ever, in the history of Iowa football. It's bad. It's really bad. Dr. Rob, Dr. Rob, you told us to wait and give Scott three years or give him four years. When did you know it wasn't working? Good question. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I got to be honest with you. It, that's a tough question because I think year one and year two. So year one for Scott was what, 2018 in Lincoln? Yeah. So first year was 2018. I, I think everybody kind of gave him that year. Year two was a little disappointing because in 2019, 
you had these guys back. The question, the, the problem was in year two, you lost Divina Zigbo. You lost, uh, you lost Stanley. You had a deep threat at wide receiver who's now gone. You had a true every down running back who's now gone. I thought there was some recruiting catch up they needed to do year two, year three that didn't happen. Year four, so I'm probably going to say last year and year four is where I started to really wonder, is this ever going to work? And I started to wonder it in the sense that, I mean, so the thing I go back to is you've got like guys like Mo Washington, you got Wandale Robinson, you got J.D. Spielman. I'm just here going like... Leaving the program. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's just... We need a true running back. We need another Divina Zigbone. Nobody's recruiting that guy. We've got an entire offense of slot guys. Like everybody on the goddamn roster is a fucking slot guy. Even the quarterbacks. I mean, look, McCaffrey. McCaffrey's a slot wide receiver, but he's playing quarterback. Like even our quarterbacks are fucking slot wide receivers. We Sorry, need Dave. what's that? Sorry, Dave. Sorry, Dave. We need a true running back. We need a true deep threat wideout. We need a couple of slot wide receivers. We don't need everybody on the offense to be a goddamn slot guy. And it's just But Rob, the two running the two running backs you got now are exceptional, but that offensive line sucks. Yeah, they're not good. Oh, fuck, I feel I mean, bad they're, about they're, that. They're, they're great at getting the yards, but they're doing it. They're not doing it because the holes are there. Yeah, the holes aren't there. And it's, you know, I I looked, you know, it's interesting because I remember when people were looking at Cam Jurgens, and I remember when Cam snapping the ball over everybody's heads. A lot of people are looking at that and they're going like, this is horrible. We need to, we need to get rid of this bum. And I'm looking at Cam going like, you know, he's stamping that ball over Martinez head, but on the flip side, as soon as he stamps it over his head, he's going out and just absolutely lighting, lighting up a D lineman and two linebackers. This guy's really good. The fix here is going to be small and quick. We're going to get that that snap fixed, and this guy's going to turn into an, an absolute NFL monster, and he has, and now we're looking back going like, damn, it'd be nice to have Cam Jurgens back. But, I mean, right now, who I would also be, left early. Who also left early. Yeah, I mean, I – and I don't blame him. I think he and Scott clashed over a number of issues. But I look at Cam, and I'm sitting here going like – you know, the greatest decision, the, the the biggest success of Scott Frost's career is moving Cam Jurgens to offensive line. Greg, thanks for the phone call. I know it's a big week. You're down there in Oklahoma. Uh, you coming up to, to watch the game? Uh, you know, I was planning on it, but I've got to have my uh, hip replaced. But I will let you know that the beer's on the way. There we oh, go. Excellent. Love good it. stuff, Greg. Appreciate it. Hey, be safe, okay? And good luck with that hip. Thanks. 
Thank you know, you. If, if he wants to come up to Nebraska and get his hip done, I know some guys. You know, I, I love getting corrected because Lord knows that I'm wrong a lot. And I've had what? A lot of I know. But, you know, anytime, anytime you get a LinkedIn comment, you, you got to go with it, right? And look who the LinkedIn comment's from. John Higgins, <laughs> who points out that Houston is in, is in the American Athletic Conference. Are they really? Yes. They, they used to be a conference USA. conference USA. No, they used to be. That, that's the thing is. But John Higgins, part of the Rooferees, by the way, uh, not a sponsor of this podcast, but John, if you'd like to sponsor this podcast. I have had them done our roof a couple of times in addition to the siding on the house and gutters. They've done a nice job. So I'm going to give you a free plug, John. Rooferees.com. John has done my roof twice. He's done your roof a couple of times. Yeah, they've done a great job. Yeah, so, so there you go. You know, I showed this earlier, and I want to show it again. Um, these are the coaching records. Let me uh, let me get rid of the uh, uh, that little uh, that little phone number right there. If you want to call, by the way, five four three triple five six. Here are the coaching records: Bob Devaney, one hundred and one wins, twenty losses, two ties. Tom Osborne, two hundred fifty five wins, forty nine losses, three ties. Frank Solich, uh, fifty eight wins, nineteen losses. Bill Callahan, twenty seven and twenty two. Bo Pelini, sixty seven and twenty seven. Mike Riley, nineteen and nineteen. Scott Frost, the worst of them all. The word, and it's not even close. I mean, Mike Riley, I know he wasn't given as much time, but you could make the argument that Mike Riley was a better coach than, coach than Scott Frost. 16 and 31. Dr. Rob is uh, is going to, well, he's going to go pee is, is what he's going to do. And being a live show, uh, that's one of those things that uh, that tends to have to happen every once in a while. But we will get to, uh, let's go back to the phone calls. Um, let's take Paul. Who's up first? Paul, Paul, I have no idea where you're calling from. What is this area code? What, where is 972? <laughs> Frisco, Texas. Frisco, Texas. Nice. So that's a, that's a Dallas suburb, yeah. right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, we're not too far from Dallas. Sitting here watching the Dallas game now. So. Uh, how are they doing? Are they winning? Um, tied 3-3. Okay, cool. All right, what's your question? Dr. Rob's taking a piss right now, uh, but I'll try the best to answer your question. My question is, how do we have a coach um, that cannot make adjustments uh, in any form or fashion on the defense? Um, The worst hire that we had wasn't just Scott Frost. It was our defensive coordinator. Ben Ben Don't Break doesn't work in the Big Ten. And in our first three games, I think we've given up more yardage than we did in, like, eight games last year. How are we not making adjustments against the run? I just don't understand how a team that throws the ball 90 times runs for 200 and some yards on us. And I'll sit back and listen. You know, it it is an astonishing number, and, and it is hard to figure out. Um, and, and thanks for the question. And, and Dr. Rob will be back in here shortly. And, and Dr. Rob, the, the question was this, and I think it's a good one. And that is how does a team fail to make adjustments on defense, which Chenander really failed to do so against Georgia Southern and a team that, you know, throws the ball over the place, but yet they run the ball for eight yards of carry and 233 yards a game. How, how does he not make adjustments? Well, he is an Iowa guy. Stop it. Stop it with the <laughs> Iowa shit, all right? And, 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 and be serious on me now. You know, that's a good question. You know, a lot of it is is that, you know, making these adjustments are not necessarily easy. And I think when you look at a preparation for these teams, you've got a week to prepare. 
and even then you're not going to be a hundred percent ready to go. I mean, there, there's always going to be some stuff you don't see some stuff you can't account for. If you've got a team that comes in and does something that you have not well prepared for being able to make these adjustments on the fly, it's not easy. Now, the other thing is, is that, and this is something we're going to end up going into. I don't want to give too much stuff away when we get into the doc's diagnosis. Well, give it away because, and speaking of the doc's diagnosis, uh, why we're there? Why don't we just go ahead and, and just say, tell you right now? The doc's diagnosis brought to you by Centris Federal Credit Union. Thanks, is, Steve. Is coming up on uh, Monday, Wednesday, or Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Doc will break down a play. Uh, we got three plays from the Nebraska-Georgia Southern game that we're going to break down. He'll draw them up, tell you why they either succeeded or failed. But it's brought to you by Centris Federal Credit Union. Uh, member NCUA, and if you need a, a loan, if you need a deposit, uh, make sure to check out Centris Federal Credit Union. So pick it back up where you were. Sorry. Well, no. So you've got multiple factors at play here. One is, is just did, did your coaches get you ready to play? Did the coaches get the team adequately prepared to to handle whatever the opponent's going to throw at them. The other thing is is that there's some player factors here involved as well, too. Um, and, and I think this is probably something that affected Nebraska in this game is that you've got a couple of guys that have been injured. You look at a guy like like Hendricks that's dealing with some ankle stuff, a, a wrist, or, wrist or hand fracture. Um, that's got him out. So you've got some younger guys playing. I mean, we've seen um, Hausman from Columbus that's been playing at linebacker number 15. And, and quite frankly, the kid's an outstanding athlete, a really good football player. I don't want to pick on him specifically in the sense that, hey, this guy screwed up. But on that last touchdown that Georgia Southern scored, you saw Georgia Southern send a guy in motion. Anytime you see an offense send a guy in motion, they're going in motion for a reason. And nine times out of ten, it's to pull a defender out of an area. On that play, I got to go back and double check, but I'm pretty sure I think both Gifford and Hausman followed the motion guy. So you had actually two defenders going with the motion guy instead of just the one guy. And it left just a blazingly big hole for the quarterback to get in there for and and score that final touchdown Hausman comes back I think he was the guy who was not supposed to go in motion and he comes back gets a late hit on the quarterback but it wasn't enough to save the the touchdown or save the score it's these these levels of preparation are not easy but from a coaching staff, you've got to be able to see what an opponent's going to do. And at the same time, you've got to be able to show your players, hey, here's some things that we haven't seen, but we want you to be prepared for just in case. And then you also want your players to be able to adjust on the fly a little bit and deal with some stuff that nobody's seen before. And I've, from an offensive line standpoint, that's things we've had to do where we've gone against teams that haven't that we end up seeing stuff that they've never shown that they pulled out just from the Nebraska game, and you've got to be able to make those adjustments. 402-543-5556. Let's go out to Richmond, Virginia. That's where Michael is. Michael, welcome to the Doc Talk Podcast. What's going on? 
Hey, guys, I appreciate you taking my call. How are y'all doing? Doing great doing tonight. great. Hey, the uh, longtime listener, I've uh, listened from all over. I'm glad you guys uh, appreciated the challenge coins I sent uh, about a month ago. Oh, cool. That's Love awesome. Uh, my question. <laughs> Those were so awesome. Are you uh, done? My question are, I have for. Hold uh, on. Are for, you are you done cleaning with your wife tonight? Because didn't you say you were going to clean with your wife tonight? Because your wife said, <laughs> what, what, "What else are you going to learn over the four hours you've been listening?" Because we're better than everybody else. Because nobody else fucking talks like we do and gives it real like we do. Yeah, she was. Uh, we're we're done. We're done for the night. I'm outside cleaning up while the girls are getting a bath. Uh, she was after the uh, first f bomb. She was like, what was that? And I just said, sorry, Dave. And she just kind of looked at me like I had three heads. (laughs) We blame it all on Dave. It's Dave's fault. (laughs) But uh, my question for you is, I mean, we all heard in Trev's press conference that, you know, Mickey's able to make the decisions, right? So if you're Mickey Joseph, what are you doing this week? I mean, he said there's going to be some big changes. Wait, what are you doing? Boy, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I think offensively, I think you've got to put a fair amount of load on the run game. I mean, I think you've got a couple of guys in Allen, Anthony Grant. God, those guys are good. We finally have – this is probably the first time since Divina Zigbo in 2018 that I think Nebraska's had a really, really good – running back or a couple of running backs. I think you've got to get the ball in those guys' hands, and I think you've got to try and establish a little bit of consistency in the running game. I do have serious questions about the offensive line's ability to establish that line of scrimmage against Oklahoma. At the same time, it's it's not like these guys haven't seen Oklahoma before. Ben Hart's played against them. Corcoran's played against them. Um, Hickson's seen these guys. This isn't going to be anything incredibly new, and my hope is is that if you get out there, maybe simplify the run game a little bit in the sense of on, maybe running only two-thirds of the playbook. Go ahead and just do a little bit of a simplified offense in the run scheme, but keep hitting them with the run game. Chew up some clock, get the ball out of their offense's hands, and try and burn some time and burn up some yardage with that. Um, At the same time, I think the bigger question is going to be on defense. And what I would like to see is a lot more pass rush. We have seen a very basic rudimentary fronts from Nebraska's defense at this point. They haven't rushed more than four guys very often. We've brought some blitzes, but it's been sporadic. It's it, it, There's been a lot of time in between. I would like to see Nebraska say, screw it. We're just going to bring five, maybe six guys on every down outside of first down. I mean, if you got a second and one, I get it. You don't want to run a blitz. But, I mean, outside of that, bring the heat. Let's just start bringing guys like, I want to see Garrett Nelson. I want to see Mathis. I want to see Caleb Tanner. I want to see all three of those guys coming after a quarterback and getting in the backfield, getting penetration, and, and causing a little bit of disruption. Let's make this defense a little bit more nasty than what we've seen. Let's stop sitting back 
and waiting to see what the opposing offense is going to do. Let's take some of these guys and try and impose our will. I truly don't know if these guys have the ability to do that because we have not seen it up to this point. But we have a we have two, maybe three really, really good athletic guys on that defense that I think can do some damage, and I would like to see us cut those guys loose. Good stuff, Michael. Thanks for the phone call. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for your service. And actually, thanks for the challenge, Coins. I was yes. going to tell you what. That was a huge honor for Travis and I. We really did appreciate that. We appreciated that. No, I'm, I'm glad you all like him. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks, we, Michael. The letter was the big thing. Getting that from you is awesome. To, uh, let's go back to the phones. That's where uh, that's where Wade is. Let's uh, get Wade in. Wade, welcome to the Doc Hawk Podcast. What's going on? Hey, thanks for uh, <clears throat> taking my call. I'm calling from Jackson, Mississippi. She didn't ask me that, but that's where I am. <laughs> but you know what? You know what? Hey, so my daughter, <laughs> hey, my daughter lives in Oxford, uh, Wade. So uh, I love the state of Mississippi. I, I tell you what, it's one of my favorite states. Every time I drive from uh, south, uh, I, I absolutely love it. It's it's one of my favorite states. Well, Oxford is a, a great place, a beautiful city, <laughs> a lot of a lot of pretty girls, and it also uh, happens to have a good football team too. Now, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Uh, freaking lane. Which brings me to my first question, uh, and I don't know if this is you know realistic or not. He'd even be on the radar, but just wondering what the what your thoughts are on the on the possibility of, you know, maybe poaching Lane Kiffin from Ole Miss? I, I mean, my take on it is that, I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about Kentucky. I can see reasons why Mark Stoops might want to leave Kentucky. And the whole SEC argument is that if you're in the SEC, you've got access to SEC money, you've got access to SEC recruiting, those are great things, but for a guy like Mark Stoops, you're at a basketball school. And you're going to always play a little bit second fiddle to the basketball team. At a place like Ole Miss, that's a school that has a fair amount more football history. I mean, you think about Archie Manning. You think, I mean, everything's Arch Man- Archie Manning down. You go down there, the, the speed limit is Archie Manning's jersey number. Here's the pro- <laughs> here's a lot. Here's something that people don't know about about Mississippi, which makes it hard to keep a coach. And, and Wade, you probably know this, is that I believe the longest contract the university allows is what four years, right? Isn't that what the what, right? Yeah. So the university, Rob only allows for its football coaches to have four-year contracts. It can't do a six, seven, eight-year contract or even a 10-year deal. Maximum you can do I is four years. I get that, but I mean, they're I, working numbers some way to make sure those guys get paid. True. And I think Lane's going to get paid. I, I mean, what's, what is – okay, Travis, you tell me. What is the upshot for Lane leaving Ole Miss and coming to Nebraska? Um, money. Uh, size of stadium, uh, you, you know, that only seats around 60,000. The Grove is, and Wade backed me up, the Grove is one of the greatest tailgate spots in the, on the planet. Um, uh, oh, it's the best. It, it, really, awesome. it really, I mean, the, it would be hard. The, the ability to realistically win a national title. and Is it that much better at Nebraska right now? now right. And the, now, the key I, is there right now, and the answer is no. 
No, but I say that in the sense that I think Nebraska needs to find a degree of comfort level with being another Wisconsin, Iowa, somebody like that. No, no, I don't want it to be Iowa. Well, I mean, nobody, Come on now. nobody does. And I mean, it, it's painful to <laughs> say you that. Stop that. But I mean, if you're one of these, if we could get Nebraska back and you always want to do better, and I understand that, but if you could get Nebraska back to the point that Nebraska is a consistent 9, 10, maybe 11 win a year team and is going to be at least able to compete for the Big Ten title, you're gonna have a you're gonna have an outside shot at the national title, and with the 12 team playoff, if you can be a nine to 11 win team in the Big Ten, you're gonna be in the playoff and you're gonna have that shot. I know one of Osborne's kind of the tenets of his philosophy was that if you can win the conference title, you're gonna go to the Orange Bowl. If you can go to the Orange Bowl, you're going to have a shot at the national title. And the reason is because in that day and age, that was still when you had the true independence that existed. Miami was an independent. Penn State was an independent. Florida State was an independent. Hell, I think South Carolina was a goddamn independent back then. And so if you could They were. I think we played them when, when they were. And so if you could get to the Orange Bowl, and have a chance, if you could win the Big 8 title, you're going to go to the Orange Bowl. You had the automatic contract, the, the, the contract with the Orange Bowl that the Big 8 champion automatically goes to the Orange Bowl and kind of played essentially, it was sort of one of the, I, I don't remember the exact wording of the contract, but it was basically whoever the next best team they can find it is. And it was usually one of these highly rated independents like like Miami, Florida State, Penn State. That's why it always seemed like it was Miami, Florida State, or Penn State that was playing in the Orange Bowl versus a Big Ten, or I'm sorry, a, a Big Eight team is the way that contract was structured. You had that shot at a national title, and that's why Osborne put kind of so-so emphasis on the non-conference season because he felt like, hey, the non-conference, we're just trying to get ready, get guys ready to go. The conference title is where where it's at. If we can win the Big 8 title, all of a sudden you've got this inside track to the national title. You know, the kind of the backstory that I always give everybody, in 1992, Tommy Frazier is a true freshman. Um... We knew day one. I mean, week number two of two-a-day practices, you got this kid in the huddle. It's this kind of north-central Florida kid. He's <clears throat> Dude, he's brash. He's yelling at veterans. He's telling wide receivers where to go. And all of a sudden, we're like, God, this guy is freaking owning the huddle, and I love it. And it's because and it was Frazier, he knew what he was doing. Osborne would not start him until the start of the conference season. He didn't want to throw him into the fire too early, didn't want to muck up his, 
his ego, his confidence at all. So Osborne waited, played him a little bit through the non-conference season. We lost to Washington at Washington. I think if Frazier played in that game, we win it. And then we hit the Big 8 schedule, and we just basically kind of run – we run the table in the Big 8 until we hit some team from Ames, and it was total fluke. But There goes Marv Seiler. Still running. Still running, buddy. Still running. Still running. Anyway, Osborne, <laughs> Osborne did a great job of recognizing what this guy was capable of. But I get it in, in the sense that Osborne's logic was, hey, if we win the conference, we've got an outside shot at a national title. Same thing in the SEC. And those are incredibly coveted positions that I think coaches want to hold on to and protect. And I would be shocked if you get Lane Kiffin to give that up. Good stuff, Wade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just frustrated. I know everybody is, but I mean, I'm I'm 51 years old, and I was uh, I grew up a Husker fan because of my dad, I'm and right there uh, with you. who was from Lincoln, and and you know, it, <coughs> excuse me, I've been sick. I'm sorry. Um, I was 34 years old before we didn't make a bowl game. You know, I mean, <laughs> I and didn't know tough. anything but, but winning. And that's the thing. I mean, I, th- I sit around and I think about the fact that in 1991, that was my redshirt freshman year, we beat Oklahoma to win the conference title and the fans told the goalposts down because it had been yeah. three whole years since we had won a conference title. Three years. The last yeah. time Nebraska won a conference title was 23 years ago. Think about that. We've gone th- – that's how yeah. long it was from the last national title to when we won it, 94. We haven't won a goddamn conference title in 23 years. It's absolutely brutal. So it's going to be interesting to see what we see going forward. But to answer, answer your question, I mean, I – I, I have grown to really like Lane Kiffin in terms of what he's been able to do at the schools he's been at. I would be shocked if he leaves Ole Miss to come to Lincoln. I, I don't think he stays yeah, at Ole Miss. I probably would be too. I don't know if he stays at Ole Miss because I, and I don't know how him and Trev Alberts would mesh. The Trev, that would not be yeah, a good match. Yeah, That's I, true. Yeah, I, I mean that- – yeah, Lane Lane beats to his own drum. There's no doubt about it, and I like it. I I like what what he's doing. My daughter works at the University of Mississippi. Um, I'm on the Lane train. I, I I love it. I can't wait to to see a game in Oxford. I've been to Oxford several times, but I haven't seen a game there, and, oh, I, and yeah. I'm waiting for it. It's fun. It's fun. Excellent. It's fun. Good well, stuff. I don't care who we hire. I just want to get – there's a lot of good candidates out there. I just want us to find somebody that will get us back to uh, – we don't have an identity anymore. When You know, I said when That's we true. fired Solich, I said, there went our identity. Yeah, I, I mean, would, who's Bill Callahan? What the hell are we doing? I would love to have that back. Would love to have it. Good stuff, Wade. Appreciate the phone call. Uh, and uh, be, hey. I know you, hey, I know you got some water problems going on in Jackson. Hope all is safe, and uh, hope you're doing okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for taking my call. Not a problem. No, thank you, sir. I mean, Virginia, Oklahoma, Mississippi. I mean, look where the phone calls are coming in tonight. We got a little bit of reach. It, it, well, we do, don't we? 
And, and the, the funny thing is, the longer we go, the more people are jumping on this podcast <laughs> and listening. I don't know. Oh, and have you noticed that? I mean, the more we, the longer we go, the more people that are listening to this thing. It's absolutely, we are now, by the way, we have set a record. This is the longest Doc Talk podcast ever. How long have we? We're gone? at an hour and fifty-one minutes right now, and we well, got to record. We've each had to get up and go to the. Yeah, bathroom. you may not. Have, you knew the Rob had to go you take a piss. You on me when we go. When you go, you're like, you, you get your you get your son who's running the camera we, here. We've like, gone so fucking focus long. On me the, ba- that- the, the cameras have gone dead like three times. <laughs> oh, it's like what the fuck's going on? These cameras aren't charging. Uh, he, he, or, but he, do we have another caller? Uh, we uh, yes, we do. Good. We're, you know, we're hitting like, we're doing like the tour of the United States tonight. So Virginia, we've been in, we've been in Oklahoma, we've been to Texas a couple times, Mississippi. Let's go up to South Dakota. Nice. Okay? Let's go up to South Dakota. Rob was in South Sodak. Dakota yesterday. Was there all day yesterday? Uh, Patrick, welcome to the Doc Talk podcast. What's going on? What's going on, boys? Not much, man. I'm glad to hear uh, you guys are all Beer. boozing it up tonight, too, because I'm on uh, day two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hold hold on. I'm like popping open another beer for Trav. But here, Rob's so. the bartender tonight. I, I gave Rob the cooler, and uh, he, he's bartending for me tonight. Wait, what there. are you drinking here? It's I, a, I'm drinking the... Uh, I, I, it's the, a Hazy Rabbit. A hazy I, think rabbit. This, I think this is a Wisconsin beer. It is. It's from Steve Swanson from Central Federal Credit Union. Do you know what Steve does? Buy great beer for us. He buys us great beer. I got, I got like a crappy... Your can opener, opener sucks. It does well. I gave my I gave my usual leather man to my kid when he went off to college because he's like, hey, I need something. And you know, you used to be a man and do that with your fingers, with your ring. I did, but then I got like then my fingers got arthritic and oh, there we go. Here, here, dude, my, look at Owen. My he's son comes in with the rescue. Up. Sorry, Patrick, we didn't mean to digress there. What, anyway, what's your question for Doctor Rob? Talk to me. You know, I'm not even sure if I have a question. I just, I know, uh, I know Lurch from way back, and uh, I was just kind of curious. You guys have been talking about uh, which uh, uh, coaches you think, you know, are his top five. Give me like four names of people you would absolutely want that you know we could never get. Ooh. Like I throw one at Lurch. Uh, how about how about Eric Bieniemy? You know, he's been hey, searching hey, to try to be a head coach. There's a reason Eric Bieniemy doesn't have a job, right? I, I a head coaching job. There's something there. Uh, you know, I, I, get, I agree. There's I, something, but what is it? I get it, and I have no clue. Like this isn't one of those things where I where I mean, shit, Travis, you're the one who was trying to start a an entire discussion on Scott Frost's extracurricular activities. I was, I, I tried to go down you that rabbit hole. You tried going that. I'm like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. It doesn't play in here. <laughs> um, on Biennemi, okay, so here's my thing on Biennemi. One, I think, dude, that guy's a really good coach. My thing with him, though, is that there's NFL guys and there's college guys, and I really, really worry that he's an NFL guy. I don't. Some that. guys just work better in that world. The NFL game is a little different. The way the, the the dynamic of the players, the coaches, the management, et cetera, it's a little different in the NFL. 
and it's different enough that, I mean, you got, that was one of the things, sorry, I'm like mid-sentence tangent in here. This was one of the things that I looked at Pelini, and I always thought Bo Pelini would be an outstanding NFL guy, linebacker, coach, D coordinator, et cetera. I, to this day, am still shocked that when he got fired from Nebraska, that he didn't go take a year off and then resurface in the NFL as an NFL guy because he loved coaching. He loved the purity of coaching football. He did not want to deal with admin, ownership, or fans, or media. If he could avoid all of those things and only could coach football, that would that, that's like his heaven. And that's that is the life of an NFL assistant coach. You go out, you coach, you're working with the players. There is very little media interaction, fan interaction, etc. And to this day, I'm still surprised that that Pelini didn't do it, that he turned around and jumped right back into a college job. It's, I think it's the same thing with Biennemi, and part of me thinks there is something going on there. I don't know if it's the whole NFL thing where they're like, hey, Mike Tomlin gets to be one of the only black guys coaching in this league, and that's how it's going to be. But something's going on there, and I and I do wonder if if Biennemi really only wants to stay at that level. And there you go. 402-543-5556. Again, 402-543-5556. Let's go to Gretna. By the way, we're going to hit California. We, we've gone fucking coast to coast, which is beautiful. Which, from where I live, Gretna pretty much is California. Cody but. in Gretna, welcome <laughs> to the Doc Talk Podcast. What's going on, man? Well, what's going on, boys? Travis, I lived in Ankeny. I used to call into your morning show all the time. Oh, thank you, man. <clears throat> yeah, so... Hey, by I the way, this is not about... a wrestling call-in show. This is a football call-in show. <laughs> I'm just letting you know that right hey, now up front. I'm just happy Trev's been here a full year. We still have a wrestling program. Anyway. Oh. That's my boy, Cody. I know Cody so, pretty well. Oh, yeah. So the first thing I want to talk about is I don't think it got talked enough, enough about in the last five years, the mass exodus of players every year. And how many guys were we, we lose 10 to 15 guys every year You're leaving gonna, the program. And I promise you'll lose and 10 to 15 wanna, more after this year. I promise you. Oh, yeah. It's okay. coming. And who are the evaluators on this staff? Because in my personal opinion, Hossman and Applegate for existence last year are not even top five linebackers in the state of Nebraska. You know, we got guys like Genitone. Why wasn't he in Lincoln? And if Hoffman starting, where would have Genitone been on there? You got a guy like Zane Flores, who's one of the top quarterbacks in the country and did not even call him, you know, and then like your nephew, one of the top linemen in the state, you don't call him. What is going on with these evaluators? No, let's go get a guy out of Florida who's just going to end up leaving in six months. No, and that's I, all. you know, I do not disagree with you on that one. And that's something that's bothered me because I think, I mean, obviously, you know how I feel about Isaac. And, and it's, there's a yeah. guy who, 
okay, they're, they're like little teeny tiny bits of inside info here. I, I'm not saying... He, People love inside info, by the okay. way. That, that's why they he listen to a not, podcast. I don't think he'd be starting this year by any means because he, he'd be a redshirt freshman if he'd gone to Lincoln. I do think he'd be playing as a redshirt freshman. Yeah. I th- he'd be at least getting snaps. I mean, you got a guy who's 300-plus pounds, can lift small cattle. And, you know, I the one thing that always impressed me about Isaac is that from a technical skill standpoint, going back to his sophomore year in high school, he might have been the most technically sound center that I've seen at the high school level in Nebraska since Michael Decker, at UN, who was at Omaha North. And Decker was a guy who, until he had some concussion issues down in Lincoln, Decker was Decker was a starter as a redshirt freshman. And so I, I I think Isaac was from a technical skill standpoint, was just as technically sound, if not more so than Decker. And he and he's a little bigger, a little stronger. And so that's that's something I that's something I you, you look at that st- still bugs the hell out of me. Genitone is a guy that I really, really still scratch my head over because you've got a guy who he's a track star. He's a wrestling star. He was a football star. The one knock against Vince was that he played, I think, what was it, seven different positions on the football field in two seasons at North Platte. But it's one of those things. There's no excuse for not grabbing that guy and saying, listen, you're a better athlete than 90% of our college football team. We're going to get your ass in Lincoln, and we will fucking find you a spot, whether it's at linebacker or running back. We'll find that spot for you. And they have, and they didn't do that. It's, it's mind-blowing to me some of these kids that they haven't picked up. Um, Flores is another one, and that's a kid that, like, how do you justify the fact that you've got this kid who's got multiple power five offers happens to have just clicked with the mullet down there in, in, in Stillwater, but you've got a guy who's going to go down there and I think is going to have a great college career. And we're going to sit back and wonder how the hell we didn't get him in Lincoln. And it's not that we didn't get him in Lincoln. It's our own fault. It's the fault of the coaching staff in Lincoln that he's not going to be there. By the way, Lori says, don't worry about the bathroom break, boys. The audience is drinking to catch up uh, and needs to pee, uh, too. So we're going out to Napa. That's wine fucking country. Not beer country. That's wine country. Okay, do you know where Lagunitas is in California? That's in, is it by San Diego? It is in the smack middle of wine country. I, I had no clue. It is. You fly into... Uh, you fly in out there and you start heading north out of San Francisco, you run into Lagunitas is where they're at. So, Hey, are you ready for this? Uh, coming up in queue, we have a Hawaii call too, but we're going nice. to California. Vince, welcome to the Doc Talk podcast. What's up, Vince? Hey, fellas. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. Um, anyhow, um, well, I'll tell you what I love watching. I, lo- I love it. The, we, I mean, I don't care if it's uh, I don't care if it involves barley and hops or fermented grape juice. I love seeing two dudes throwing back a few because you want to know God something. Damn. Okay. Win or lose, 
Win or lose, we drink booze. There we go. There's another T-shirt. Yeah. There's another T-shirt. Win or lose, we drink booze. That's a slogan right there. That's another T-shirt right there. Exactly. But anyhow, anyhow, just a few thoughts. I mean, you know, um, I mean, it's sad that it came to this, but you know, to be brutally honest, it was a it, it was a move that had to get made. I mean, like hundred percent, like most Husker. I mean, like most Husker fans. I mean, I thought I thought Coach Frost could get you know could uh, get Nebraska football back, not necessarily to where we were between say ninety three and ninety seven, but at least get it back to where Bo Pelini and Frank Solich had it. Um, but all he did was manage to make it worse for a variety of reasons and. I don't, and you know, and it's, I mean, cause like, even if you flip the record around and made it 31 and 16, as opposed to 16 and 31, would that be a great record? No, not great, but it would at least offer you some hope that we can, you know, get, at least get back. Winning it's something you can build on. Mm-hmm. Ex- exactly. No question. Exactly. No question. You could build on it. And, um, but I'll tell you one thing, um, what, what it's an example of is that the members of our fan base that uh, that for years thought winning nine games wasn't good enough, well, as far as I'm concerned, they're reaping what they sow now because now it takes three goddamn fucking years to win nine games. <laughs> Sorry, and, Dave. Uh, <laughs> it, it's weird having to host like a real radio show, you know, it, it played by FCC rules. It's weird. Not like to, where's, gotta, where's the fucking dump button? I mean, you dump him. You got to get up tomorrow morning and do <laughs> yeah, that. I got to do this for real tomorrow morning, and it's going to mess me up. And Man. you're not going to do it after this after this shit. No, but, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, oh, shit. God, it's gotten brutal. I mean, I, I'm still so disappointed in where we're at right now that the idea that if we could only win, if we could get back to that point where we win eight or nine games a year, that would be a win. I mean that 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 would that would be a victory right there, and we're not even at that point. So but, yeah, I mean that's just absolutely well, brutal. Well, exactly. Well, exactly. Because um, now, do I think we can get back to you know going? So what, what, what was it? Thirty-three straight years that we won nine games or more. Well, yeah. that that yeah. I don't know, but but that I don't know, but. And I don't, I don't want to get you guys' thoughts. Now, I don't see any reason why if we get the right guy, we've got enough resources, we're going to get enough talent. I mean, is it going to be at Georgia or Bama or Ohio State's level? No, maybe not from a recruiting standpoint, but we've got enough talent to where we're at least in the upper part of the middle class to where there's no reason why we can't be a nine-win team, say, seven years out of every ten. I mean, I don't know. What are your well, thoughts? You know, so here's my thoughts on that. That's a great question because I'm thinking about it in the sense that, okay, let's go back to, so I'm trying to find recent history here. Let's go back to the Pelini era. So Bo Pelini was basically the Tom Osborne other than T.O.'s last five years. Bo averaged, what was it, like 9.6 wins per year. Yeah. Yeah, his worst year was 9-4. and four. So you got nine plus wins a year for Bo Pelini. The recru- the re- sixty-seven and twenty-seven is a pretty damn good record, man. Yeah, it was not bad. So he av- he never had less than nine wins. 
So he did okay. He did fair. I, I always thought, actually, I really liked Bo. I mean, the biggest knock against him was spitting in the face of Martinez on the sideline during the Texas A&M game. I, I mean, which that wasn't anything different than what I saw from McBride or Bob Devaney behind the scenes or John Melton or any of the other Devaney era guys that were still around when I played. I mean, those guys were some serious fire and brimstone dudes. It's, and I never had a problem with that, but I mean, you look at Polini who won nine plus games a year and everybody looks at that as incredibly mediocre at the same time too. Some of our best recruiting, if you look at it from a number standpoint, if you look at it from a three-star, four-star, five-star standpoint, some of Nebraska's best recruiting happened under Mike Riley and Scott Frost. That, it, I would not disagree with you. So, I mean, if we can maintain even a little bit of that recruiting with a Polini-era level of coaching – I think we're going to do pretty damn good, but I mean, it's like we got to get the right guy in here who can at least win nine plus games a year. Let's go down to is it Mincy, Missouri? Joel, is it, where, where's Mincy, Missouri at? Well, do you know where uh, Springfield, Missouri is? Yeah, very yeah. familiar with Springfield. Okay, so Grant Wistrom's from there, everything. Um, so we head straight south, like towards Branson and kind of southeast near Arkansas border. I live like. Right on the edge of conservation land. So like Carthage? I, I, I tell you what, my, my son Owen's got a son. Well, okay. My well, Grant was from Webb City, which is over yeah. by Carthage. But if okay, you headed east yeah. like Springfield and head straight south. Okay, right, so right one, of my, one, country, one, of my, so. one of my good friends, former Nebraska strength coach, John Archer, he's a Carthage, Missouri guy. And he would never oh, – awesome. John would never shut up about Carthage. God bless him. He was like the greatest place on the planet. Which I can't yeah, complain you about. You know, I Web haven't City. spent a lot of time there, but yeah, I mean, Web City sent us more than a more more than one guy that was pretty good. Of course, they were both brothers, but right, yeah, that always helps. So, What's well, your... I got a question for you. Um, so, Doctor Rob, you talk about you know our offensive line kind of sucks, and they do. Um, but you look at all these other teams that seem to overachieve. Do they? What do we got to do to get to that point? Even with guys that aren't that great, is it? a combination of just fundamentals and overachieving, or how do we get there? So I, I think one of the things that I think has really plagued Scott Frost from the time he hit the doors that, and and here's the thing, Travis, Trev touched on this in his press conference. I thought this was like a little hidden little Easter egg that he touched on was um, some of these doing the million and one little things correctly, these developmental well, things, these discipline things. Hold on. Let's listen to it right now. Let's, okay, is this well, what you're talking about? Hold on real quick. Here, here's Trevor Alberts uh, yeah. this afternoon. We've said all along, I, I just love to see this team continue to grow, compete, make progress, have a team that represents the values of Nebraskans, be tough, win the line of scrimmage, do the fundamental things that teams need to do to win games. And, uh, and I think we can get there. You know, we, we'll stop talking about championships or stop talking about things we used to do. We'll just get really process-oriented, detail-oriented, and, and ultimately when you start doing those fundamental championship habits type things as I think about them, uh, those types of wins and things follow. 
Boom. Right there. Said it. Yep. Is that what you're talking about there, Joel? Yeah, that is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that's Yeah, it that's right really there. good. I mean, I, I mean, the really, I think really. Scott just got in his own way, you know? No, and I don't really disagree. Tried to overthink it. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. And I think a lot of it kind of comes into play where sometimes I think you get coaches who come up with a system and they feel like, hey, I've got this system. The system's going to win. These plays, this playbook, this system is what's going to carry us and take us. The really good teams, it's basic fundamentals. It's discipline. It's not making mistakes. That's what win games. And, I mean, if you go and look at the really good teams, I mean, the consistently good teams in the Big Ten, I'm going to throw Iowa out there. This year's a little bit of an outlier season, so don't put too much weight on this. But if you look at Iowa, you look at Michigan, you look at Michigan State, if you look at, uh, I mean, even Ohio State, if you remove the five-star athletes from those teams, the bottom line is is that they do the fundamentals really, really well. If you look at Alabama, if you look at Georgia, if you look at Auburn, Florida, if you look at the really good teams year in and year out, they do those fundamentals amazingly well. Footwork is great. Hand placement is great. Routes are routes are precise. The defensive backs don't make mistakes. Everything that you would go by any coaching textbook anywhere, and if you go look at these teams, they do all of that right out of those textbooks. The thing that always amazed me was that the higher level of football I went in life – when I went from high school to college, I thought some magical like treasure chest of football knowledge and ability would be opened up to me, and I would gain this total enlightenment of football. I mean, not to overly quote Bill Murray. It never happened, here. did you? No. Do you know what happened? Is it was like, hey, here's these bare bones fundamentals that you learned back in fourth grade. Guess what? We're going to work on those more than anything else. And then I went from college to the NFL, and the fluff got stripped away even more, and it was even more of these fundamentals. I mean, every NFL coach I played for, especially the better ones, the better NFL coaches – all they focused on was all these goddamn fundamentals. If you go watch NFL football, part of the reason it's so good is because the fundamentals are amazingly precise. Nobody screws up fundamentals at all. Look at Tra- Trav's rock in the bed. Fred's right there. Let's go out to Hawaii. That's where Diane is. Now, we've covered it all. Unless we get a call from Europe, I, we've covered it all. We've gone from Virginia to Hawaii. We've gone over water. Diane, what's going on? Aloha, gentlemen. Just wanted to call because it is Hawaii. Aloha. Love it. (laughs) Um, I really don't have a question. You know what I think about is the players. You know, being a player, how are they really probably handling it? What do you know? I know some are probably going to be on board with the move. Some aren't. 
I, I tell you what, Diane, hold on real quick. Here's Trev Alberts talking about the players today. Most importantly, I'm going to do everything I possibly can, like I think we did for Scott, uh, to support Mickey Joseph and the staff as best we possibly can. It's a group of young men that they're hurting. Um, and, you know, they, they care deeply about this place. And so we're going to do everything we can to support them and help them. They've got nine games left. We've got a great opportunity this weekend against Oklahoma. And so we're going to support them as best we can going forward. There okay, you go. So how do they do that? Ooh, that's, I, you know, that's a tough question. So from a personal experience standpoint, I only had a coaching change one time in my career. So out of 10 years of college and pro football, that happened one time. Um, boy, it's not easy to deal with. I mean, this was one of those things where I, I went from Dan Reeves, who's a great coach, um, to Jim Fossil, who's also a great head coach. It's not easy to deal with. At the same time, however, too, your job as a player is to have a degree of buy-in. You've got to look at these guys. You've got to look at them as mentors, as coaches, as CEOs. And if you've got a guy who's a great CEO, and that's why I go back to, I mean, earlier in the podcast, I talked about how important that was that you have to have a guy who is a great leader and just from a fundamental standpoint, is a great CEO. Because if you do, you can have that buy-in, but you've got to have that buy-in. Incredibly tough to do, especially at that age for these kids. But it's something, it's within their capabilities. A lot of this is going to depend on who is the head guy going forward, whether that's Mickey or not. Matt says, I hope enough, I have enough battery on my phone to finish the show tonight. Matt, we hope we have enough battery in our cameras to finish <laughs> the show tonight. And my son is giving me the, the wrap-up, so that kind of gives you uh, where we're that at. That means but, the cameras are dying, that, literally. Literally. Uh, but if you didn't know, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, because each and every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you're going to get the Doc's Diagnosis uh, brought to you by Centrist Federal Credit Union. Doc's going to drop a, a, a play. Uh, not just one, but two, but three, and you're going to get his take on the doc's diagnosis. If you uh, also subscribe to the YouTube channel, you'll go behind the point spread with us on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock live on YouTube. Scott Spreitzer from Las Vegas joins us. He's an Omaha guy, uh, and he's a professional better, and he gives you great insight on the betting uh, that is ahead. If you don't follow us on uh, social media, please do so. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Doc Talk Sports. Like our Facebook page at Doc Talk Sports. Follow Dr. Rob on Twitter at Doc Talk Sports. And follow me on Twitter at Travis Creates. Dr. Rob, we have gone two hours and 17 minutes. I feel like this, dude, I feel like we've gone for like half an hour. Listen, we appreciate. We could do this for like a three hour show. You I, realize I, that. We could. And I hope you've all enjoyed it. It's been Why a lot of fun. Why do you hate beer? I don't. I've had a lot of beer tonight. Why do you hate me? I'm kind of, I don't hate you. Why do you hate the Hawkeyes? I don't hate the Hawkeyes. You love the Cyclones. I love the Hawkeyes. <laughs> and I'm kind of drunk right now. Betfred Sports is our presenting sponsor. Cannot thank Brian Bennett and the team at Betfred Sports enough. Download the app today on uh, the Google or Apple Play stores. A $50 bet to do signups can get you $250 of free bets. Also, Connor Orr at uh, Orr, Horgan, and Flente. If you need a litigator, Connor's your guy. If you need a sports agent, Connor's your guy. And Scotty Strunk down at huskerhounds.com. For Dr. Rob Zadiska, I'm Travis Justice. Thanks for listening and watching the Doc Talk podcast tonight, presented by Betfred Sports.
We'll see you next week or join us Wednesday for Behind the Point Spread presented by Betfred Sports. Have a great one, everybody. We're going to drink more beer. Woo!